This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it. You made it this abbreviated week because of the 4th of July. You got to like it. Uh, by the way, today it's also Tell the Truth Day. So for some, this could get scary. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> I'm going to um, I'm going to just work out and exercise. I'll eat healthy this weekend and just uh, rub vitamin E on my stablins. Yes. Okay. That's what I'll be doing. That's what I'm going to try to do. Tell the truth, they imagine a world where nobody lies, says anything misleading, or does anything dishonest. Tell the truth, they aims to achieve this for just one day. By the way, I know you like me to leave all of the media talk for the third hour on yeah, Fridays yeah, yeah. for screen cleaning. All the screen, yeah. But uh, there, there are a number of films that deal with this very subject of not being able to lie. Liar, Ooh, liar, with yeah. Jim Carrey is one of them. Another one is called The Invention of Lying. With Ricky Gervais, where he lives in a world where they don't know what a lie is. So he's the first person to discover how to lie. <laughs> to lie. Did yeah. he then, you know, teach everybody? Did he make book, uh, make a book and sell it and have tapes and videos about how to lie? Well, he it kind of goes in a different direction than that. And er, he everybody thinks he's God, basically. Wow. Yeah. But God wouldn't lie. That's true. Or he would cease to be God. Well, I'll let you see the film. Okay, I'm going to look it's that one up. One. Uh, I like Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. He's a smart cat. He's he's in one of the funniest, uh, I think, movies on Netflix. What's that? Uh, I can't remember what it's called. It's the one where he lives in a rest home, a senior living center. Oh. Dec- uh, I'll be looking. Derek? Derek. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I mean, it's... It's BBC funny. <laughs> the same people that brought us uh, Benny Hill. The Hey, uh, by the way, it's also chocolate day. So if, if, if telling the truth is going to be too difficult for you, just tell the truth and eat some chocolate. Mm. You said it, baby. Uh, today's the National and International Chocolate Day. Our research leads us to believe that, that you know, that you will never be ha- happier or healthier than when you're downing some chocolate. Do we have a research team? Yeah, we do. Oh, okay. It's a chocolate research team that just does nothing but check chocolate and test chocolate. Paolo Kiko yeah. is the head of it. Mm-hmm. He's killing it, by the way. There's that yummy, yummy dark chocolate that makes you go tingly inside. That's one of the... Uh, Isn't that the crackle chocolates? I think that might be the E. coli chocolate. Oh, yeah. Once you're going tingly inside, don't assume it's the chocolate. There might be something else in your chocolate. So happy Chocolate Day. Happy Tell the Truth Day. We're going to get into all of that. Plus, of course, on the show, we've got uh, – we always like to interview the latest and greatest, the best thinkers we can. Today we'll be taking on uh, a, maybe a couple topics, possibly one for sure. Uh, we'll be getting into the empty news, all the news that you didn't know you needed to know, but you needed to know it. Did you know that? To make it through this life. We may also um, be talking about uh, – how some things can be – you can have too much of a good thing. And there are some some traits, survival traits, things you might be doing that you think might be helping you but actually are hurting you. We'll talk about that. 
all of that ahead. Plus, of course, a Trump date on Trump in the G20 uh, handshake with Angela Merkel. That was weird yesterday. Yeah. Is, is, that, that, a, is that a Hebrew name? It is now. Okay. It is now. And then today, What Vlad, happened today? Oh, yeah, today's meeting. The handshake with Vlad. The Vlad. Apparently, they were meeting in maybe 20 minutes. But he's apparently not going to say anything about the election, they were saying. No. Like how Russia destroyed the election and made it so Trump could win. President didn't, he did tweet out that that's what everyone's talking about is the DNC servers and yeah. the election and all the missteps and how it's all fake news. Whatever you, whatever you're concerned, you just know Donald's on it. Right. Donald will take care of it. He's so got I, a lot of meetings today with people that aren't necessarily happy yeah. with him. He was sitting next to uh, Peña Nieto, um, the Mexican president. Right. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's kind of intense. Tense. Um, I, re- I saw a, uh, a thing this morning in the meeting with Vladimir Putin. When you start looking at the governmental people in the room, you add up the governmental experience in the room. Yeah. Russians, 80 years. 80 years of, Combined of experience, experience in their world of politics. In their politics and yeah. on the world stage yeah. and dealing yeah. with other Great world job leaders. for them. How about the U.S.? 12 months. Combined. Oh, could it, no, so... So, so you add up all the people in the room, yeah, all of them, and on the U.S. side, there's a total of one year combined experience in the international yeah. affairs. And huh. well, there's there's you know what's cool is that there's probably a lot of energy. And they then, got good energy. And then there's this tactic that world leaders are using where they just praise Trump, and yeah. then he's like, "Oh yes, you're right." You're right. I'm amazing. And it's their little trick to get him to do things. Would you Would you see if you can get the staff, the team, to do that more with me? Praise you more? Yeah. Talk about how great you are? Just, yeah. You tend to react well to compliments. I totally love a good compliment. But when you're talking about trade deals and jobs and <laughs> that could be problematic. But, nah. you know, whatever. We'll see. Whatever. Just tell me I'm great. Well, let's get to the headlines then, Terry. What else is going on around the country and the world? Russia is suspected of successfully breaching U.S. power plants in order to take down electrical grids, according to a report. In particular, the Wolf Creek nuclear facility in Kansas saw its computer networks hacked. A Wolf Creek spokesman told Bloomberg that there were absolutely no operational impact to the plant because the operational computer systems are completely separate from the corporate network. That was a there was a story huh. of a random power plant that may have been breached a couple weeks ago, but there was no details as to what this is. What Why is this story about. coming out today? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because there's a meeting happening right now, so and this strange. isn't something that's going to be talked about. Yeah, Tesla is no longer the biggest automaker in America. Following the recent plummet in the electric cars company shares, the top position now belongs to General Motors, valued at fifty-two point seven billion to Tesla's fifty-one point six. On Thursday, Tesla's stock fell another 5%, continuing its multi-day tumble. Since hitting an all-time high just two weeks ago, Tesla shares have dropped a total of 20% as of Thursday afternoon. Losses for the week now sit at 14%. The week's drop coincides with Tesla's disappointing second quarter results, which the company has blamed on a production issue with its 100-kilowatt-hour battery pack. So there's less sales. I know, but it's weird because they're they're also they're, launching their new car. They're announcing a new car today. Yeah. And Come the, on. This is from CNBC. It says, since June 23rd, Tesla's overall stock market value has dropped $12 billion. Wow. Yeah. 
So Come you on, t- Tesla. You see like 20%. You're like, ah, yeah, yeah. But with a company that big, it's $12 But billion. do you remember when your value dropped $12 billion? When it dropped $12, yes. <laughs> I remember that day. It was tough. That, that would be a day you'd remember. My bank actually on our accounts will tell you your uh, total value, your net value. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's got to be comforting. No, not at all. I was like, well, I'm worth more than that. Come on, man. You don't even know me. Three people were injured on a Delta Airlines flight to Beijing on Thursday night after the pa- a passenger reportedly tried to enter the cockpit. The chaos unfolded shortly after the plane took off from Seattle when the airline said a security incident forced the, the uh, Boeing 767 to return to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, escorted by U.S. military fighter jets. Mm. Delta said the passenger was restrained and taken into custody by police after returning to the gate. The airline did not provide further details, but CNN cited two people familiar with the matter, saying that two passengers and a crew member were injured after the unnamed passenger tried to get into the cockpit. So one of the wow. uh, the story I read is one of the uh, stewardesses was trying to stop him, and then he threw her aside or threw her down or something, and then two people members, tackled you know, him. people of their passengers tackled him. And they yeah, people don't also. mess around anymore on airplanes. Good like for that. the passengers yeah, too. You yeah. got to get involved now. So that guy was detained. And Take I him down. Believe the flight was able to refuel. I can't leave, believe so. Jeff did that. Yeah, Jeff, sit down in your seat. He <sighs> wanted. He wanted <laughs> tomato I, juice. I wanted to get the wings. I wanted to. You yeah. know, it yeah, used to be wings. you could meet the captain no problem. No, totally. Yep. It's so sad. It's a, it's, a, it's a scary new world. Uh, for Matt, this is news I found what? for you. I thought you'd find that's interesting. Liberty Interactive Corporation said it would buy the remaining sixty-two percent of HSN Inc. That it does not already own in a deal that values the TV shopping network at $2.1 billion. The deal allows U.S. cable TV mogul John Malone to fully merge the home shopping network uh-huh. with QVC. Why? They're two shopping Don't, networks. Wouldn't Historic you rather have two than one? Networks. Let's have two instead of one. The deal, which will give HSN an a enterprise value of $2.6 billion, will help Liberty develop its e-commerce and mobile shopping platforms and improve its programming content across the networks. I know you mm. like to watch. Occasionally, you'll get your... Uh, who is on there? Marie Osmond with oh, her yeah, porcelain with her dolls. dolls. Oh, you just are, love I that love stuff. Those. They're lifelike. All the Food Network hosts are on there. You just <laughs> thoroughly enjoy that. She does the NutraSuite now, I think, or NutraSystem. One of those. NutraSuitical. Hmm. I don't know. And we have a new flavor of Pringles. <gasps> what? I know this show usually uh, talks about Oreos. We had avocado Oreos the I haven't had a Pringle since, you know, the incident. I had the other brand of Pringles. They're called not. Yes. They're called Stacks. I once yeah. developed Pringles. Oh yeah, good. do you remember that? Yeah, and they were all red and mm-hmm. swollen. Yeah. So, um, what do you think about ramen? Never met it. Like top ramen. <coughs> oh, I love Pringles. It. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Jeff, you okay there, bud? Oh boy, Jeff's battling. So the uh, Pringles and Nissen, the company that makes yeah. top ramen, they've teamed up, as it says here, to create top ramen chicken chicken Pringles. One Which of the most exactly disappointing like. team-ups. Yeah. No, but, um, <laughs> Absolutely. What's the flavor? So Pringle, Pringles flavorologists, uh-huh. yeah, flavorologists carefully work together w- with Nissen employees to ensure that the cult classic top ramen chicken flavor tastes just as good in potato paste <laughs> form. Because that's what those are. They're just sort of paste. Yeah. Um, according to according to food food and wine magazine, which is who you would think would review? Oh yeah, Pringles. They, who knows Pringles ramen. better than food yeah. and wine magazine? They say the new snack will go on sale for a limited time at the end of July, and it will only be sold at Dollar General stores. Wow, I don't know. 
Pringles, but flavored like Top Ramen. I love ramen. Pringles, and I love Top Ramen. I just don't – they seem like the same thing to me. I guarantee you that's something you could already get in Russia. When I lived there, it was you couldn't get a regular Pringle. It was all nasty flavors like that. It's because they 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 steal everything from the United States. They steal everything, Russia. Hmm. Anyway, Russia. Don't know if you know that. Speaking okay. of, so we have our, our president bumping around Germany. Yeah. Um, the U.S. government wanted to uh, stay at the Four Seasons when they were in Germany. Oh yeah. Well, you got you got to uh, stay in a nice place. But apparently, they booked too late. Oh boy. So the Four Seasons. Taken. So the, the Motel uh, 6. And the, the delegation from Saudi Arabia had actually already claimed the Four Seasons as well as the rooms and several other nearby hotels. Uh, Saudi King Salman, who uh, won't be at the summit, will be represented by a former finance minister, uh, is there taking his place. But the king usually travels with a huge entourage, camels of fresh camels for fresh camel's milk. They actually milk the animals for the king. Um, a golden escalator and, uh, you know, other trappings yeah, of, yeah. Uh, you know, of royalty. Um, so that's not, I mean, so basically they've taken over and they couldn't find a place for the right. you know, U.S. delegation. So it says here, it's unclear where Trump will be sleeping, but the Associated Press is reporting that he'll be staying at the official Senate guest house in Hamburg. His staff will stay at the U.S. consulate in the city. Really? And uh, all, all this is, uh, if you remember, Tillerson. The yeah, Secretary Rex. of State, right after he was nominated, went to Germany for a World Security right. Summit, and he couldn't find a hotel. <laughs> no, so where else booked. would you sleep? He slept at a sanitarium. When in doubt. Or a former sanitarium. Go to a sanitarium. And that's all because it says only nine key positions out of 124 at the State Department have been filled. It's a very light right? staff, too. The key component here, no one has even been nominated for the Director of Office of Foreign Missions, which is responsible for planning uh, and providing security for U.S. missions and diplomats. Don't we have embassies in these places? It well, seems that, like you'd stay there. That's the U.S. Consulate General, yeah. right? They're going to stay there, but you want to stay at a hotel. You're a hotel builder. Is there not a Trump hotel in Hamburg? I don't believe so. Well, that's a mistake. There was talk Think of the money they could have He may made. have to stay in Berlin and then helicopter in every day. Which would be better for him. He loves a good Dramatic, helicopter, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, can of chicken Pringles for who the person that can guess why I'm playing this song? Because you're enamored with me? Um, I don't know. What were we just talking about? A hotel in Hamburg. Where could they not stay? Four uh, Seasons? Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Wow, that was a stretch. <sighs> Not he really. Does, four no, Seasons, it, Four Seasons. But, I mean, the explanation. Do you remember that you have a show? You have your own show in two hours. Right, half the time trying to figure out. The, it is interesting. <laughs> I thought it was something to do with the camels, but. What camels? The king of Saudi Arabia travels oh. with a herd of camels, so he has fresh, cam- fresh camel's milk. And then a golden escalator. Those were key elements of the story. Well, I know, but I, I think I missed the Do you think if Trump saw milk. the golden escalator and somehow it's portable, he'd go, hmm. Well, that's how he announced his presidency. It wasn't a golden escalator. It was just an escalator. Wasn't it gold? No. It, oh, it's in, but it's in Trump building, which is all surrounded by gold. Well, I think his well, floor then, is. Well, I think when he – anytime he touches anything, it turns to gold. Oh, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Yeah. Hmm. It's like the Midas touch, but it's the – Trumpus touch, touch. Don't touch your daughter; she'll turn to gold. Okay. Don't you remember the end of that story? 
That was the end of the story. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, good times. Good times. Well, coming up, we're going to be talking about too much of a good thing. How four key survival traits are now killing you. Little things that, uh, you know, you save your life, now maybe costing you your life. Great interview about your health up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, throughout time, our genetic makeup has been programmed to help us survive the world around us. But that may no longer be the case. In fact, the very traits that kept our forefathers alive may actually be killing us today. Diseases like obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, mental illness, heart disease, and stroke are um, increasingly affecting more and more people. Today, Dr. Lee Goldman, cardiologist and dean of the medical school at Columbia University, joins us to talk about his book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. Uh, Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Great to have you. I love this topic of um, because forever we've we just kind of looked at people that were having some of these medical issues because so many of them seem like lifestyle oriented. We just see them maybe as lazy, as weak. But one of the arguments you're making in your book is that men, many of these diseases are caused by just our traits, our survival traits. So exactly. We are hardwired, if you will, with the same DNA, the same genes that our ancestors had in the Paleolithic era, a time when life was very different than now. Right. There was in short supply. Salt was uh, more precious than gold. Murder was one of the leading causes of death. <laughs> and uh, people bled to death, especially women after childbirth. And so our ancestors had to have genes that protected them from those things. Uh, the good news is that now, for most of us, food is plentiful. Salt is in abundance. Uh, murder rates are actually, surprisingly to many people, at an all-time low. And uh, we rarely bleed to death. Right. So those challenges are no longer the key issues for our survival. But they are. They're, they're still part of our, our makeup, right? So we, so we all of a sudden, we have this desire, I guess, to, to not – I mean, our body – not a desire, but our body doesn't want to lose weight. Right. So our you – know, those are no longer the things that kill us, at least in uh, you know, the Western world, but our bodies still have genes that are programmed uh, like they were in the old days. Right. So, uh, when food is available, we're genetically predisposed to gorge, eat as much as we can, and store the excess as fat. Uh, that was great if uh, tomorrow there may be uh, no food for us, but now that food is, is plentiful, uh, we gain weight. And now 38% of Americans are frankly obese. That means they're more than 30% overweight. Another third are overweight. And uh, our bodies are not built to help us lose weight. In fact, if you try to lose weight, two things happen. One is you get hungrier. And secondly, your metabolism slows down so you burn fewer (laughs) calories. These are great traits for the Paleolithic era. They're terrible traits for someone who's trying to lose weight in modern America. Right. And, and so talk about the, 
the kind of the evolutionary trait side of this. You're not going to train. You're not going to create uh, or de- eliminate that trait of evolution for what, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 years or something? What is the number? What does it take <laughs> to change evolutionary traits? Well, well, so these traits have you know, built up in our ancestors over probably 10,000 generations, right. speaking. Uh, they came on slowly, and if they're going to go away, they go away slowly. But see, each of us has some number of random differences in our genes compared with our parents. Hmm. We've got about 6 billion pieces of DNA information, and each of us has about 40 to 60 of those that differ from our parents. That just happens by random, sort of typographical errors in our DNA. Right. If those typographical errors are good, they spread to our children who outsurvive other people's children and eventually may spread to much of the population. But that only happens if those genetic mutations, if you will, benefit us in terms of survival. The things that are killing us now aren't killing us before we have kids who True. have kids. That's right. So they'll never go away, most likely. Oh, they'll be wow. Here forever. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that is that's scary. So <laughs> so we've got we've got a genetic, I guess, predisposition uh or traits, survival traits that could kill us or, or actual or could save us if the conditions were there. But in reality, they're actually beating us up. And yet our body is going to fight against that. Our body doesn't want to lose weight. So how do you overcome? Well, there, there really are three basic approaches to this. Um, one is people voluntarily change their behaviors. Uh, we eat less in terms of calories. We consume less salt. We exercise more, we meditate, etc. Um, those are certainly nice traits, and some of us have them, but many of us don't. Uh, if those sorts of behavior changes were uniformly successful, 38% of us wouldn't be obese. Hmm. Um, one third of us wouldn't have high blood pressure because we consume too much salt. Uh, 15 to 20% of us wouldn't have depression and anxiety, and stroke and heart attack wouldn't be the leading causes of death. So we already have evidence that behavior change is really difficult. And since we're fighting our genes, it doesn't mean that we're morally weak. It means it's just really, really, really hard. Yeah. So I argue that behavior change is a wonderful personal virtue, but unlikely to be routinely successful across the entire population. Hmm. Second is you know, regulation. Uh, we see some of that in terms of trying to limit the size of sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, put calorie counts on uh, food, uh, limit salt, as has been done in processed foods in Britain. Those things are moderately successful, uh, just as we uh, use smoking bans to reduce smoking rates. Uh, But it's not something that the U.S. naturally uh, tends to endorse. We're the land of the free, so we don't tend to like regulation, uh, places like Britain uh, are more likely to embark on those sorts of changes. So I argue, as much as this may seem uh, sort of unpopular, that a lot of this is going to come down to, to modern science, finding ways to neutralize some of these genes that we no longer need. And we have some interesting examples of these. 
there's a gene that is needed to help form LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol that predisposes uh, toward atherosclerosis, heart disease, and stroke. In a study in Dallas, uh, they happened to find one woman who was missing both of the copies of this gene that's needed to help make LDL. Uh, her LDL level was 14. Uh, no one had ever seen someone with an LDL level of hmm. 14 in America before. She's perfectly healthy. So there's sort of proof of principle here that we all have a number of genes that we don't need anymore. And part of the solution, I argue, is finding ways uh, to neutralize those genes. Now, some people talk about, can we edit our genomes? I'm less enthusiastic about that. But I think that modern science will find ways increasingly to neutralize genes we no longer need, and that will help us uh, offset some of these uh, inherited hmm. traits from the Paleolithic era. Interesting. So just using modern science, pharmaceuticals, or genetic, I guess, testing, and and uh, I guess some gene- or some pharmaceutical intervention to then mitigate the problem. Right. Now, I'm not an apologist for the pharmaceutical industry, please right. understand. But what I am saying is that there may be a variety of ways that we can, they said, neutralize the genes we no longer need. Yeah. Uh, you know, in some fancy science fiction world, you could say, well, why don't we edit those genes out of uh, uh, our bodies? Uh, I'm less enthusiastic yeah. about that. I think that'd be extremely difficult and raise a whole bunch of other issues. But I think that we, as we identify genes we no longer need, uh, we can come up with ways to, as I said, to neutralize their effects. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Let's take a break. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Lee Goldman, uh, who is a cardiologist, dean of the medical school at Columbia University, author of the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. And uh, let's come back and, and talk more about some of these traits. For example, this this like almost insatiable love and need of salt uh, has many reaching for a bag of chips or more fries um, when uh, when really you know our bodies just needed salt a million years ago to be able to survive they still do but uh, now we have a pretty healthy dose of salt in our lives we'll continue the discussion folks too much of a good thing stick with us this is the Matt Townsend show. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, on the line with Dr. Lee Goldman, who is the dean of the uh, medical school at Columbia University, also a world-renowned cardiologist and author of the new book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing Us. And uh, he's been teaching us, man, uh, millions of years of evolution in our uh, system, maybe the cause of many of today's problems, um, you know, everything from uh, overweight obesity to heart cardiovascular issues to stroke to anxiety and depression, you know, these are things that we were actually wired to uh, bring to the ball game. Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you again for being with us. My pleasure to be here. Talk about, uh, talk about for example, one of our historic survival traits has been this, um, this, this love, this need of salt and water. 
And I mean, that makes sense, right? Our bodies need salt and water to stay balanced chemically. Um, but we, I guess, are consuming too much salt today. That's, I guess, why our body craves the salt today. Yes, exactly. So back in the Paleolithic era, uh, one of our best survival advantages is our endurance. Humans aren't the fastest runners, but we can run and walk the farthest. Hmm. Uh, and the reason is pretty simple, and it's exemplified by the cheetah. The cheetah, if you put it on a treadmill, will sprint for about a mile and a half, and then its temperature will go up to 107 degrees, it'll lie down on the treadmill and roll off. The reason is it can't sweat. Because hmm. it can't sweat, its temperature goes up when it exercises until it literally can't go any further. We are the best animal in the world at sweating, and that gives us the ability to dissipate heat and to keep on exercising. To dissipate heat and sweat, we have to have enough salt and water in our bodies, and we have to, have to be able to replace that salt and water as we sweat. Uh, humans have always craved salt. Uh, in fact, uh, salt for much of uh, human history was more valuable than gold. Even the word salary comes from the word salt, because Roman soldiers are often paid in salt. Hmm. We crave salt. We love the taste in our tongue, and our bodies need it. Uh, but salt also tends to raise our blood pressure. And in America now, one-third of adults have high blood pressure, and that can be linked directly to their intake of salt. There you have it. <laughs> so, because it's true. Like in the hospital, they might give you uh, a saline solution just to be able to enter, introduce other drugs into your system, or they might give you even, I guess, sugar, lactated ringer or some yeah. other dextrose or some other, uh, you know, some other fluid into your system. And it's usually going to be, I guess, a sugar or a salt or additive. Salt, yes. Yeah. Is, so then all of a sudden that increases our blood pressure issues, our heart issues. There's another uh, genetic trait, which is just uh, what you've now linked um, uh, at least in theory, and I'm sure in reality, to our uh, to our mental health, yeah. anxiety. So in the as best as we can tell from the archaeologic remains of uh, humans uh, dating back to the Stone Age, back in that year, about a third of humans uh, died violently. Uh, most commonly uh, thought to be killed by other humans. The most common injury was a dent in the left side of the skull thought to be related to some other right-handed person smashing across the head. Uh, when humans began to settle down in the Neolithic era about 10,000 years ago and farm and raise animals, uh, the skeletal remains suggest that the violent death rate went up to about 25%, thought to be because there's now you know, more to fight over. Hmm. Uh, we think of today as a time when we're afraid of uh, violence and murder and uh, those things, but this is actually the safest time, as best as we can tell, in human history. Fewer people die from murder, violence, and war than ever in human history. Uh, in fact, in America now, far more people commit suicide each year than get killed by murder and war put together. Hmm. Well, we were built to be afraid, afraid of other humans, afraid of wild animals, afraid of falling off cliffs. And uh, you know, that's now the reason why Many people have uh, anxiety and, and even panic attacks. But you know, interestingly, we're afraid of the wrong things. So if you look at a little child, the child will naturally be afraid of snakes and spiders. Right. You know, no kids get killed by snakes and spiders right. anymore. They're not afraid of cars. 
They're right. not afraid of guns. Those are the two leading causes of death in children. So these are hardwired traits that have nothing to do with the things that we actually should be afraid of today. Those fears, as I said, contribute to anxiety and uh, panic attacks. There's another part to this as well, which is when you're faced with uh, a foe, we talk about fight or flight. There's a third option if you're not fast enough to run away or strong enough to fight, and that's to cower and to be submissive and hope the foe doesn't kill you. Hmm. Uh, that submissiveness is sort of the beginning of depression. It's a good way to avoid getting killed. It's a good temporary uh, adaptation. Uh, but if it, you don't bounce back, that's what we now call depression. And so many uh, uh, evolutionary psychiatrists believe that the modern depression that we see is really a reflection of that submissiveness, uh, which is an alternative to fight or flight, and when people don't bounce back. Hmm. And depression and anxiety today in modern America are among the leading causes of disability. As I said before, now more Americans, very sadly, uh, commit suicide uh, than are killed by murder and war together. And it's uh, what what I'm hearing is these these what we would say, I guess, today, these disorders, these diseases, uh, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, mental illness. They also they they seem to be our weaknesses today and the way we see them in our culture. Th- these are all weaknesses. But what you're explaining um, is almost more that they're coming from a, a genetic strength. Yes. So exactly. I love exactly. that because it's it seems like a healthier way to see it. We're not all just a bunch of misfits, broken uh, exactly people. Exactly right. This is, and I think this is a very important message for all of us as we think about ourselves. If we have any of these uh, afflictions, that we think about other people. Uh, this is not about self blame. This is not about looking at other people as though they're somehow morally weak or inferior. These are the way we're built. Right. And we can, to a certain extent, offset them. And some of us are luckier than others in terms of how strong some of these genetic traits are. But uh, I'm really trying to get us away from uh, uh, what I'll call uh, uh, moral judgment of ourselves or each other to understanding better how this is, this is the way we're built. Do, do you see that culturally? Um, because I guess we're just barely opening up to these ideas <laughs> as being strengths, right? But culturally... We we might we we don't seem to handle it well like you like you brought up. There's three options: voluntarily change, which will happen with maybe a third of uh, of our. Is that what you're saying? Basically, a third will be able to just choose to change their behavior. Yes, I mean again, some people are more successful than others. Regulation Um, is the other one, which would be I guess we start creating better guidelines, maybe more government pushed regulation. Again, this is this is intrusiveness into things that people often think are you know, things that you know, government shouldn't tell us what to do. Um, and but in places where they've done it, they tend to be at least modestly successful. Hmm. And and then too, maybe just the acceptance of allowing science to help bridge the gap. Yes, and that's again because as we discussed earlier, and as you pointed out so nicely, we're in, our genes aren't going to evolve out of this. Right. This is not going away. (laughs) 
And I mean, and and yet I, I really love the idea that it's a strength. Because, um, I, I mean, I, I know family members that have heart issues and, um, you know, a lot of times people might make it about character, like just don't eat salt. Just pull yourself up and don't eat salt. And but two, and again, you, we're not determined either. You know, I don't believe in determinism per se, but it's you're definitely going to be influenced by this these genes. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's hard. Yeah. Uh, uh, what we see interestingly here in, in America is that people who are relatively more affluent sometimes have the uh, the wherewithal to do somewhat better with some of these issues. Uh, but in most parts of the world today, especially the developing world, these problems are uh, often seen uh, most in uh, the more affluent, mm. where people now have increasing access uh, you know, to food and salt and to a leisure lifestyle. Uh, so in many parts of the world, you know, the people who are most afflicted with these things are, in fact, the more, uh, the more well-to-do. Is there... Um... Uh, like I have a relative that too is a cardiologist and uh, retired, um, but the healthiest eater I've ever seen, the healthiest, I mean, exercises two hours a day, loves life, is, you know, mentally engaged, does a lot of great stuff, and yet um, went in for some random um, exam that ended up finding out that he needed his, uh, he was, I think he was having an appendicitis, He they found um, stones in his gall stones were having a problem, but then he also found plaque in his arteries. Yeah. And as a cardiologist, that was like the most offensive thing, <laughs> especially after eating, you know, after eating seeds and just grains his entire life. So there, there is a point too where it's just you are what you are. It's just are, so yes. So clearly, better habits uh, reduce the risks of some of these things, uh, but. We see people who uh, have uh, all the right habits, if you will, uh, but who still, on a genetic basis, uh, develop atherosclerosis and heart disease and stroke. Hmm. Uh, you can do something. I'm not saying we can't. We, certainly, we can reduce those risks substantially with a better diet, better exercise, etc. cetera. Uh, but this is built into our genes. And... Uh, if all of us had that LDL of 14 that I described before, right. then we may never have heart attacks. But most of us don't have LDLs like that, even if we're vegetarians. Hmm. I mean, it, does, it is what it is, and I guess. But studying the person with the LDL of 14, all of a sudden, and science might be able to help us replicate it. Exactly. Yeah, um, and, and move us there. Exactly. And again, I look at that also sort of as a proof of principle, because it, if something that is... So clearly associated with uh, heart disease uh, can be uh, potentially neutralized so dramatically. Uh, it, as a proof of principle, indicates that we should ultimately be able to find uh, yeah. that series of genes that cause high blood pressure and uh, know which targeted therapy will be best in, in each of us to bring blood pressure down and to offset that genetic tendency. I have ultimately, so someday the same thing will hopefully be true for anxiety and depression. Yeah. No, totally. And I mean, again, we had some researchers on talking about anxiety and depression and how they don't even know what it is. I mean, they know what it is, but they don't know what causes it right. exactly. And 
And yet, right. And one of the reasons here is I think as we see with obesity and uh, high blood pressure, uh, these are not single genes. Mm -hmm. We didn't all get here because everybody's ancestor had exactly one mutation that did this. Every time a beneficial mutation arose anywhere in the world that tended to help you store more food as fat, tended to help you hold on to your salt, it was beneficial. Right. And across the world, there were multiple, multiple, multiple different mutations in different parts of the world. And ultimately, most of us have many of those, those genes. Uh, it's not just you know, one single event. It's multiple events over 10,000 generations. And what that means is there is no single magic bullet. Mm. You know, the anxiety gene or the depression right. gene or the high blood pressure gene or the obesity gene. There are many of them, and most of us have a number of those genes, each of which contributes. Mm. Which, again, I guess is why the diseases, uh, Alzheimer's, all these diseases they're trying to figure out, they're complex and complicated by multiple genes. Exactly. Interesting. Um, what would you say, just as we wrap up, uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that you would love uh, the listener to hear and the, and the reader of the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, what, would, what do you want them to walk away with? I think to understand how our current health challenges are a reflection of the beneficial genes that kept our ancestors alive so that we are now the people who are here rather than what would have been the hypothetical descendants of the ancestors who didn't make it. Yeah. Uh, And that's all wonderful. Uh, But it gives us also uh, a challenge that those genes are sometimes a mismatch for the modern world, and that through a combination, varying combinations in different individuals, of behavior, regulation, and medication, uh, we can address those things. But if we just leave them alone and ignore them, uh, they'll kill us, but they won't kill us quickly enough that they'll save future generations. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's prolonged, so it'll just keep killing us. Yep. Interesting. Dr. Lee Goldman, thank you so much for your time and your uh, your great insight. My pleasure. Thank you. Honored to have you. Again, uh, Dr. Lee Goldman, um, cardiologist, world-renowned cardiologist, and dean of the medical school at Columbia University. And the book, Too Much of a Good Thing, How Four Key Survival Traits Are Now Killing You. Isn't it interesting? Our strengths become our weaknesses, and our weaknesses become strengths. Oops, the, uh, when, you, when you look at it and you think that uh, the, the, the stronger we get, the future problems we could have, the future problems need to be evaluated and, and fixed. And uh, that's the power of the human is to adapt. We'll take a break, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, hoping to help you live longer on the show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How fascinating is that? You're wired to have more, you know, for example, salt in your system or crave sugar, and then now these things end up killing you, and your doctor says, yeah, you got to stay off the salt, you got to stay off the sugar. Come on! 
It's my body. It's just it's just who I am. Come on. Sure, I will die of heart disease. Anyway, fascinating uh, guest uh, we just had. Let's um, – we, we've got to find some other cures to some other things. Like have you ever – have you ever had your mom say, you know, don't touch that. You're going to get burnt. And then you just had to touch it. You had to test it. Absolutely. Well, that happened with uh, Vice President Mike Pence as well. Hmm. Apparently he was on a tour of uh, like a NASA lab. They announced a new space endeavor coming up. They more yeah. you know, money towards NASA. So he was there part of that. Which is, I mean, you, you have a dignitary there. And they had <laughs> – they had this um, – they had this – I don't know what you call it. Uh, well, it's it's a critical space flight heart piece of hardware. Right. Like something that will go, I guess, on one of the shuttles or whatever up to the space station. And there's a sign posted on – right there on top of this this hardware that says, do not touch critical space flight hardware. Do not touch it. And there's a photo. There's a photo of the vice president touching it. Like putting his hand on it right underneath the sign. That's kind of awesome. No. Well, it's it's kind of Trumpian. Are you, Rules don't apply. Are you saying that you would not have touched that sign? I would have wanted to, but would, I probably wouldn't have touched you it. You would have gone, oh, the sign says don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great photo. And I guess it, it went crazy on Twitter as well. Well, of course. Cause it's so if we could fix that, that's another thing we've got to work on is why when people say don't do it, do we do it? And then we got to figure out how to get more speed out of humans. Right. A professional runner from Kenya who was training outside a, uh, on a natural trail in the woods near his home in Maine said he encountered two charging black bears but was able to outrun them during a frantic sprint to a nearby vacant house. He said when he saw them, they were about 20 yards away. So he looked back and there was a house another 20 yards the other direction. So he took off. Oh, man. The bears closed within 10 yards. He got to the screen porch of this house and shut the door. The bears sniffed around a while and left, not knowing they could just take their claw and knock the screen porch down. You know, Unbelievable. It took, you know, and so he's terrified they were going to come through after him, and then they left. Um, he goes, they sniffed around for a while, wandered away. He, uh, the uh, the game wardens in the area, they, they, they advise if you encounter black bears, make sure to make yourselves appear big. Yeah. Right? So Which you, is not you happening when you're running. Make noise and back away slowly. But then they recommend people stand their ground if a black bear charges and say if the black bear attacks, fight back. Don't we, play dead. We, we learned yeah, this we used with, to, yeah, uh, we in used Alaska. To believe, they had play dead. Situation. No, but now you're like, take them on. But this is why the Kenyans are such fast runners. Why? They got to get from house to house with bears chasing them. Well, <laughs> no, there's no bears in Kenya. At least oh, well, not that type of bear. Well, maybe. I'm just, they don't, they, they, the Kenyans always win the Olympics and the uh, every marathon. marathon. Yeah. It's the bear chase. Is that what it is? I promise. That's how bear, they you're breaking it. What am I going to do? Mm. Bear, please stop that. Please stop breaking my thing. Yeah. Uh, poor lady lost her See, kayak. There was a video with that audio, and the bear wasn't annoyed or scared or intimidated, no. but that voice? she Yeah, that's enough. To- <laughs> then she maced him. She's lucky she didn't get in trouble. Okay, we'll take a break. Stick with us. When we come back, we'll continue the journey, helping you be the good in the world.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along uh, with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. Who's on the keyboard today? I'll be singing the I'll be the the lead singer, Jeff on the keyboard, and Terry on the marimba. As soon as we can get him in here, it's a marimba dance. Come on, tell the truth. What are we doing today? Today's Friday, and it's Tell the Truth Day. So actually, I'm not. Nobody's playing music or dancing today. Just Jeff's running the high tech audio board and. I'm just doing the show. But it's Friday. And in one hour, Jeff will take over the microphone and officially start his show called Screen Cleaning. It's uh, the one-hour weekly show, Screen Cleaning, where he will teach you how to clean your screens on your house. The whole hour is like this. It's just applause for the whole hour. Wow. So it's like... It's like a, an Obama speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just keeps going. It's the, Just it's, as rousing, just as uplifting, just as everything. And we're talking superheroes today because oh. today Spider-Man Homecoming comes out. Terry's going to see it tomorrow. I'm going to see it Tuesday. We're going to be speaking with Rod Gustafson. Okay. And we're going to be talking about why movie trailers are ruining movies. 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. Really? Well, you're going to talk about movie trailers ruining movies. Terry watches 10 movie trailers a day. That's right. He will consume every single trailer that's thrown at him. And then he still goes and watches the movie. Right. So I don't know. The rule is I'll watch like the first two trailers and then when it gets close to the movie, like a month out, I stop watching anything involved because they start putting more and more out and it gives away too much. Some movies put out like the first four minutes of the movie. Why would you do that? I don't watch any trailers. Why not? Why? Trailers are cool. Well, now now there's the controversy in in the Spider-Man trailer. There are scenes in there that were made specifically for the trailer. Oh, see, trailer scenes. It's not in the movie at all. See, that seems wrong. There's a scene where you see uh, Spider-Man swinging and Iron Man's flying behind him. That's not in the movie. Yeah. But it's shown prominently in, like, ads and all sorts of, you know, materials for the movie. But they just did that. But don't you think people are disappointed when they hope that a song or a scene is going to be in the movie and it was only in the trailer? Like, I saw one today. It was just a quick TV ad that had a song from the Ferris Bueller's Day Off soundtrack. I know it's not going to be in the movie, and that's going to be disappointing to me. Oh, that's sad. See, that's why you, you have a trailer park. Excuse me? I don't know. Tell the truth. You just park it. Park that idea. This is Matt not being interested in the topic. <laughs> I'm just trying to so, somehow change the subject. But that in one hour, screen cleaning, nothing but talking about trailers. Hmm. Nothing but talking about screens and how to do your screen cleaning. Okay. One of my favorite websites? Yeah. Trailer Addicts. You just go watch the trailers. Really? That's yeah. usually where I watch them is in the attic. Yeah. Well, you guys are a, two birds of a feather. When you need to see something, they have it. That's great. Instead of searching YouTube. 
which is now stuck with all the kids stuff my my boys watching on my YouTube account. Um. Okay. All of this straight ahead in one hour. <laughs> Settle down. In one hour. 50 minutes, actually, to be exact. And by the way, we're also going to be talking about the consequences of social media. What you post could strike back and, you know. That was another good movie, you. Social Media. Yeah, you can talk about that in With an hour Jesse as well. Jesse Eisenberg and Andrew Garfield, who was a Spider-Man. One of the Spider-Men. By the uh, way. Until he told weird, the Sony people where to go. Here's a little told weird him where to go. Spidey fact. Sorry. Driving home yesterday, I saw Spider-Man um, at a skate park mm. by my house. The Spider-Man? The Spider-Man. Whoa. Full gear, doing some pretty awesome stunts at the skate park. Maybe they were filming a scene for a trailer that they're not going to use in the movie. I think he was just relaxing. I didn't know he was such a big boarder, but yeah, this guy, huge, big boarder. See, I wouldn't. In Draper, Utah. Wouldn't limit myself to skateboarding if I could fly around. Yeah, but sometimes you just want to get your feet on that board and get the grind on. Swing around. Yeah. Anyway, all that straight ahead on the screen cleaning with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. You might want to move on if you don't want us to keep talking about this. Today's, by the way, Tell the Truth Day. It's also Chocolate Day. Two days that you should take very seriously. Your chocolate and your truth. We do nothing but the truth on this show. I always take a Kit Kat bar very seriously. I love me a Kit Kat bar. A Kit Kat bar. Um, we also have a bunch of stories we're going to get to, including um, a man arrested because he was somehow involved in having a a, bee, uh, a boat that ran ashore at Daytona Beach. Mm. I mean, full speed, the boat flies right up onto the beach, and... Uh, Nobody on board the boat. Right. I mean, accidents happen. So a guy rented a boat. Boat ends up on the beach. No one knows why. No one knows why. Mm-hmm. But someone's going to pay for it. So we'll get to that. Uh, plus, by the way, not just boats are riderless. Also, a riderless Amish buggy and one very tired horse were stopped by police. Right. And lot, you get a lot of riderless stuff going on. You got to do the last one, too. Well, the Swiss socialist? No, 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 no. I mean, you could, but. Uh, small Kentucky town elects a dog as a mayor. Yes. Well, I was going to save that for the grand finale. Yeah. Oh. The big finish. Well, that wasn't, you know, you didn't yeah. give away the whole story. That was just a teaser. Just a teaser. There's so. just some funny lines in there as people are describing why they did this. Yeah. Like who he ran against, who or was previous mayor of this town. Is it a who or town. what he ran against? Well, I, I, aren't they all who's? I don't know. Depends where you live. Pet, pets are people too. Yeah, they are. So we'll get to all that fun straight ahead. But first, let's do the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? Since the 2016 presidential election, Russian spies have doubled their intelligence gathering efforts in the United States. Current and former U.S. official told CNN that Russians have maintained an aggressive collection uh, collection posture in the U.S. and their success in election meddling has not deterred them. A former senior intelligence officer has said Stephen Hall, a retired CIA chief of operations, believes that because the current administration is so unpredictable, the Russians are likely trying to collect more information on key players. Current and former intelligence officials think there are close to 150 suspected intelligence operatives in the U.S. and they are targeting Americans who can give them classified info while also trying to hack into governmental computers. Wow. So just, you know, more stuff. (laughs) I'm not sure what you do with that. The Labor Department reported today the economy added 222,000 non-farm jobs in June, exceeding the average forecast of 
180,000 new jobs that was expected. Also, May gains initially reported at 138,000 were adjusted up to 152,000. Really? So usually people were, were getting employed. Right. And another story, layoffs potentially numbering in the thousands started Thursday at Microsoft. Oh, bummer. A lot of sales jobs are being cleared out for various reasons. Well, yeah, I don't know if you've heard, but that whole Microsoft uh, problem is shutting down nuclear. Well, no, it's not because of any problems, because things are shifting to the cloud and they need to redistribute you know, their oh, employers. Oh, so they're putting some places. people up on the cloud now. No, no, they're just, just business is different and they don't need that many people to sell things when you're selling <sighs> cloud accounts. This is Microsoft. Right. Laying people off. Yeah. They've laid 1,000 people off last year at this exact know, time because this, this is their new year. This is July 1st, your new fiscal year. This world. Google is funding a robot journalism project in which computers will write 30,000 30, stories a month for local media. The Press Association News Agency received $800,000 for its reporters and data and robots scheme. It's called Radar. Mm. Radar will benefit uh, established media outlets, independent publishers, and local bloggers. One expert said it was unlikely to replace traditional reporting, although the project, which launches in 2018, will also use human journalists. Five people will use official open data sources to automate reports about health, crime, employment, and other subjects. Skilled human journalists will be vital in the process, but Radar allows us to harness artificial intelligence to scale up a volume of local stories that would be impossible to provide manually. He added that the news media was in need of cost-effective ways to produce local stories. Wow. So we have a computer do the work of hundreds and have five people kind of monitor Wouldn't that be a great movie if artificial intelligence somehow took over? Right. That would be a great movie. We can talk about that in an hour. Right. Absolutely. And finally, um, how Americans order their steak. <clears throat> okay. Right? So this is kind of the guy that wrote this. He goes, are people who prefer their steaks well done just wrong? Yes. It's the question that has divided the nation and has otherwise firmly united the steak is great front. Given that we Americans consume about 25 billion pounds of beef annually, it makes ordering at a steakhouse for large parties a negotiation. It causes elitists like myself to reconsider the measure of a diner. And I'm going to guess that the BTUs of gas spent perfectly cooking rare steaks to well done amount to an environmental catastrophe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, when there's charcoal on it, it's a carcinogen, right? So you're more likely to die, not just of heart disease. 538.com got uh, some info from Longhorn Steakhouses. Okay. Right? They agreed to share aggregated data about how Americans prefer their steak. They shared a year's worth of steak orders from its 491 U.S. locations. Wow. This is a great data set. Yeah. So what do you think? I'd say medium. Medium is the popular? What about you, Jeff? I think medium well is the popular one. No, it's medium. (gasps) So 37% of diners want their steak cooked medium. Medium uh, well is 25%. Medium rare, 22%. Charcoal well done at 11. It's your dad. It's my dad's camp. And uh, just basically raw at 2.5%. I want it still moving. What percent is raw? Raw is 2.5. Yeah, very few people want the raw. Like my dad always goes, I want it dead. Yeah, medium. Then he laughs. He thinks I, that's What funny. do you want? I want medium usually. I think, I think I say medium. I just want it to taste good and be reasonably priced. I want it now. And in effect, it says it turns out Americans claim to like their steak a lot rarer than they actually do. They claim – 
Because oh. apparently it's more socially acceptable to have a rarer steak than what you actually want to cook. Yeah, we don't want to look like a wimp. Yeah. Well, you don't want to look like this, you know, horrible, evil monster either with blood all over your face as I know. you eat if your we're, dinner. If we're going to kill these animals and cook them, we ought to cook them for as little amount of time as possible so that their suffering is not as bad. I don't think it works that way. I don't cook me much steak, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way. That's interesting. No. That's a great study. Who would think that the great uh, Nate Silver, that brain, that wonderful statistician, would spend his time on steak? Yeah, occasionally their website, you can see they have just they, they have a day they need to decompress, so they try to do a fun topic. That's great. No, I love it. I they, they love it. They had a national burrito contest a while ago. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah. I like my burritos uh, medium, too. Medium, medium to medium, well? Medium to well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, a man arrested after a stolen boat crashes full speed into the Daytona Beach with nobody on board. 20-year-old man was arrested. He allegedly stole the 36-foot boat that later then crashed ashore on Daytona Beach. Uh, officials say Jonathan Race stole the boat from the marina in Daytona Beach Saturday morning. Coast Guard officials began searching after the boat ran ashore about 10.30 a.m., Um, According to the officials, the boat was traveling full speed. That is so scary. A full speed, 36-foot boat. That's a big boat coming right at you at the beach. I mean, it could have. if this was in New Jersey, it could have killed Chris Christie. He was just right out there on the beach. His (laughs) family was there. Taking him right out. Beach safety officers had to board the boat and turn the engine off. So it hits and then it keeps grinding. Scary. Anyway, so... uh, one man arrested for that. Uh, what is a horse to do when he just wants to go for a run, but the humans actually aren't sitting in the buggy that the horse is pulling? Well, it just takes off running. This is the Amish equivalent of an autonomous car. <laughs> exactly. So uh, the, human, the, the horse takes off, humans are not, and that was the dilemma presented to Apple Creek police officers after a member of an Ohio State Patrol unit um, had to chase down a driverless Amish buggy that was heading down State Route uh, 250. They managed to get the buggy to stop when one Sergeant Smith jumped right into the buggy. No one was hurt, but photos on the police Facebook page show the horse just was plum tuckered out after the morning run. Poor thing just thought he had to keep going. But there is that moment where you're the horse thinking, man, they seem really light today. They don't seem as heavy as they used to be. But he just kept going and going. After a little rest, his owners were found, and uh, he was reunited with them. To quote the local police on this one, every day brings with it new challenges. I think the horse is also thinking, do I smell glue? Yeah. I hope not. Boy, that'll teach him to focus. Anyway, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue the journey and be talking about – if, if you're a kid wanting to get into a college or get a job down the road, you better pay attention to your social media posts. Up next, we're going to talk about the dangers of your posting. Stick with us. So often we are negligent uh, of what we post on our social media. Some even the most innocent uh, posts could seriously affect our lives, though. Admission staff, future employers, even your potential future spouse 
uh, are likely to check your profile and more likely to check than you may even think. So here to talk to us about the impact of our social media activities and the impact it may have on our lives down the road is Tao Nelson. She is an advisor, a coach, and a mentor. She is a self-made facilitation manager, a fearless explorer of the unknown, and also um, works at, uh, I think it's Indiana State University. Is that right, Tao? It's Indiana University. Indiana University. Mm -hmm. Now talk to us, Tao, because we, we hear we need to be careful, but I don't, I never really believed that, that, uh, that these companies that were hiring people were spending as much time searching their social media posts, but apparently I'm wrong. Well, I hate, don't you hate to admit it when you're wrong? I hate it. <laughs> it's so rare, well, too, Tao. Well, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> well, first of all, Dr. Matt, right? Yeah, that yeah. How, That's, just call I, me I Matt. Was, Matt's great. Matt, yeah. Matt's great. I just wanted to thank you. Uh, I was so excited to write this article, and then now with you know your medium— I feel it's important for us to just talk about the truth and what's really happening. Good. And I know that you have a strong following, especially with parents and yeah. relationships. And I say that's who we speak to today because I don't think this, I don't think the kids are going to listen to us. That's probably true, isn't it? Right. So let's just you know speak to the parents um, um, that are out there. And I do want to go back to what you're saying is that I think you were quite surprised at yeah. how many employers and. So I think we should just share the number. I think they would be even quite surprising. So I've been re- in recruiting for many years, but I would say over the past 10 years, um, a recent study done by CareerBuilder just in 2017 said it had increased by 600% in the past 10 years in terms of employers stalking you on social media to wow. screen a candidate. That's, That's huge. That is huge. I mean, and huge. but but I guess we we hear the story at Harvard where mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. was found on social media right. and they, and people right. were rejected uh, from the school. Their, That's correct. Oh Matt. boy! And so, you know, it's real. think about that. Think about that as a parent. You know, so I have two kids, and then I want to let you know we have some things in common. What? I I came from a family of six. Did you? Yeah. You and your wife built a family of six. Yeah. Um, and so I think as parents. And we would be delighted, right, if our children had the opportunity to be admitted at Harvard. Holy cow. And, and just to, I can't imagine being a parent and the student uh, of these 10 students who their offers were rescinded. I mean, you're in. You're in at Harvard, and then it's rescinded because of something you posted? Privately. And let's, let's – let's, so I thought it might be important to talk about that. Yeah, so why? Yeah. From what I understood, Harvard, when students were admitted, created, you know, a support Facebook page, right? And a mm-hmm. lot of schools do that. I know at Indiana University, at our – I work specifically for the business school. We, we want to create a community where the students are sharing. You know, this is exciting for them to support each other. And so they created um, a Facebook group. But within that, these students – allegedly created a private Facebook Facebook group. And the things that were being shared and talked about were oh. offensive. Oh, boy. And, so, um, and then people are talking about it. And so that is what happened to the students. So their, their offers were rescinded. Um, I mean, and, and again, they were sharing um, memes, memes that were inappropriate, quite shocking. And 
their offers were then rescinded. Oh, and think of the money, think of the energy, think of mm-hmm. the hope, the dreams. And that was in a private setting. Um, it was I, I, a private setting. So I guess, though, there's really no end. Anytime we're doing anything online, we ought to assume, I guess, that people are watching. Yeah. So let me, um, you know, go back to the recruiting world. And so since I still have a lot of colleagues in recruiting, and I just recently uh, was having conversation with a colleague of mine who uh, uh, is a former recruiter and actually for a huge one of a a top bank, right, Mm -hmm. A, a top bank. And they were screening candidates. And just to give you a little background as a former recruiter, you know, you get thousands of candidates, Matt. And what I'm trying to do as a recruiter is I need to get that thousand to about ten to you, right? Mm. So if you think that you're trying to hire someone, I, I certainly don't want you to spend a lot of time. So I'm trying to get the thousand to about ten, right? Yeah. So you can look at the, the candidate. So what we do is we're funneling. We're trying to find a way to kind of say no to people to make sure that you're only looking at the quality candidates. So, so my colleague was looking at some candidates and. The criteria for this candidate met all of the, the, the qualifications. Criteria, right. qualifications matched. So she decided to look him up on LinkedIn. <laughs> and do you know that he had a profile picture carrying an automatic weapon? Oh, brother. Right? On his and LinkedIn. So, of all, I mean, that might make sense on an Instagram somewhere, but not and, on and, LinkedIn. And it's not. And, and what can I share with you is my colleague is not a, you know, anti-gun person at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, however, on a LinkedIn professional picture, <laughs> this candidate who met all of the initial screening criteria was tossed aside because he had a picture, uh, his profile picture. Wow. He was carrying an automatic weapon. And so, you know, with the rise of workplace violence, yeah, it's right. certainly it's a top concern. So you're thinking, okay, do we even want to spend any time with this person who's an automatic weapon? Anyway, well, yeah, and, that's and, just recent. I mean, yeah. And again, you can love weapons. You can love shooting. Yeah. You can love all that stuff. But it ought to pass your thought process that maybe this shouldn't be your LinkedIn profile pic. Well, I mean, think, maybe a nice right? suit picture, maybe... I don't know. No, what do I know? No, no. What do we know? You, you know, when you tell these stories, these are real, and so you wonder. It's crazy. You know, where are these people's minds are? Because unfortunately, though, uh, he met all of the criteria in terms of his background, his experience. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you see a picture, and unfortunately, guess what? We can't undo. No. And unsee things. Well, and I mean, it really, he was in the top ten, and now, okay, oh, mm-hmm. that should, all that is is a reason. Okay, I can't have that. And it's funny because as a recruiter, you these companies are your clients too. So mm-hmm. you're not going to send them anything controversial. You're going to vet it. I didn't realize in your article you, you said 70% of employers – Use social networking sites That's to research correct. candidates. Seventy percent. So seventy percent. Yeah, and and whether it's whether it was caught by you, uh, if it hadn't been caught by you, that would have been probably bad business for you. But oh, absolutely. But the next person would have caught it. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly would. So let's say that it wasn't caught. Um, I would say too that uh, more often than not, let's say things don't get caught in the process. But um, you and I, let's say you and I are vying for a position, and we're the top two candidates. Mm. Uh, trust me, here's what's going to happen. They're going to look at our, uh, they're going to Google us. Yeah. And 
and depending on the job, you've got a really clean profile out there, Matt. I know. So, uh, I think like I do too. You have no uh, idea so how hard I, how much money I paid to clean that profile up. <laughs> <laughs> we might go toe to toe. However, you know, I think what will happen is if there are two equally qualified candidates, but someone had a cleaner online reputation or footprint, meaning like nothing weird yeah. came up, then. If that's the data points that you have, Matt, what would you do? You could hand it over to you. Yeah, right. I would, I guess, if it were if it were clean, everything was clean. Well, I mean, if we're equal, then I guess we're going to the other criteria, right? All the other stuff, the job, Certainly. the the qualities, Certainly. the education. Well, I'm just saying, if we go through all of that, let's say we are just exactly equal qualified, then I'll go clean. Whoever's the cleanest. Sure. I mean, so I think it's stepping back, what would we do? If you had that data point, right? If you had that data point. So so going back to screening, one of the things I wanted to share uh, in terms of, you know, there's talk about what's legal. Should we do this? And just so you know, as recruiters, hiring managers, you know, we cannot make a decision um, about an applicant in terms of race, age, religion, disability. You know, those, those, right. those are protected. Uh, so those are you can't take those into account. You really can't when you're making a hiring decision. However, I have to add, the truth is, if someone sees it, again, it would be really hard to unlearn it or unsee it. Mm, that's true. Yeah, you, yeah, you're going to you're going to create the image in their head, and they're not going to be able to get that out of their head. Now, I guess it's there is the advantage to when you go <laughs> that one guy that has the picture of him holding a, a gun, a gun. Uh, that there is the percentage, there's a chance that he's going to go into an interview with a guy that loves guns. And then immediately we're talking about guns. That could be different. Sure. But, but it's, it's, but, but the, it just, it impacts. Colleague, yeah. Right. So, so for me, so I say, um, again, we, when we talk about social media, there's good and there's bad. Right. So let's say that there is someone who's pro-gun and it's like, oh, that's pretty, you know, I have something in common with right. them. I'm just saying from a recruiter standpoint, we're trying to screen the right candidates. And the thing that um, was raised the flag is, okay, there's a lot of talk about workplace violence. Mm-hmm. And so from that recruiter standpoint, it's like, mm, I don't know if we even need to consider a person with this type of profile in an organization that because it doesn't happen to align with the values of the right. organization exactly. that she was trying to recruit for. Exactly. So it just depends, right? So yeah. maybe if maybe if someone's recruiting for the NRA. There you go. That picture might be like that's, <laughs> that's positive. A, well, and again, if you love guns, don't make it be your picture. Take everything off about the guns. And then when you get into an interview, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, you can you can actually go do the social media background search on the people that are interviewing you. Find out what their likes are, their interests are. Bring up anything that you might have in common. But you probably ought not start with guns uh, or even like big political talk. Or I mean, there's a lot of things that you just probably don't want to lead with. I didn't know this a stat you brought up in your article. Thirty four percent of employees found online content that uh, caused or employers found online mm-hmm. content that caused them to reprimand or fire an employee. That's correct. So, boy, it, it it even could be you get the job, you get in the job, you're doing the job for a year, then you post something stupid. Well, you know, you, you've seen the, the um, I mean, there's always stories um, like, you know, someone, you, you've seen it in, in um, the NBA, the NFL, yeah. for instance, right? Someone is tweeting something completely inappropriate yeah. and um, they get fined. 
they get fined um, or or they're fired. So I think one of the things I I do, um, Matt, as a as a manager myself, is you know how you you work with a lot of people who report to you and they want to be your friend on social media. I just don't accept it. I'm just and I let them know. Yeah. I because again I don't want another. Um, that, that's for me, that's their personal life. That's what they do. And I don't want to be in that personal space. I'd rather be in the professional space. And so, you know, they're like, Oh, we'd like to friend you. I'm upfront. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. If we're not working together, that's fine. Maybe down the road. But right, right. now, if you're reporting to me, um, I would rather not be your friend on Facebook. Yeah. You probably don't want to know. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't want to know. Talk to, talk to us about what what you as a recruiter and other recruiters what what are you looking for like so obviously the gun picture mm-hmm. um, but what are some other things that we ought to be careful not to be posting not to be doing on our social media so what I would say is specifically your photos you know photos can be taken out of context so. Uh, let's talk about if we're talking to parents and, and the kids and the students they have. You know, it's interesting. You might be at a party and there's a photo and you're you're holding a red cup. Mm. It might have Kool-Aid in it. It might have Sprite. But when you see those red plastic cups, yeah. what's right? I think and of the song, <laughs> Red Solo <laughs> Cup. Right. And you think of the partier and yeah, exactly. Yeah. So So I think it's important for us to look at the photos that we're posting and the assumptions, good, bad, right? that those could make um, because, again, those cannot be unseen. The other thing I would say, too, is, you know, especially what uh, we recently had an election, you know, having politically charged types of comments because you don't know where the person stands. Exactly. And it's very, again, remember, we've got a thousand candidates trying to get to 10. I will probably try to find a reason. Mm. So really, right. it could be it could be it could be any political view, um, any you know, oh, I, I guess right. any position, right. any stance. Yeah. Versus versus a uh, versus one that says, you know what, go and vote, right? Right. One right. of those where it's important to be a part of the the process, and make sure you go and vote for whoever you know you believe in. Right. 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 Um, the other thing I would add is really simple: is like making sure that in your posts there's no spelling errors, or mm. grammatical issues. Uh, and I, I, you know, because again, I, I'm trying to find a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find a reason. And well, it just, it's easy. It, it's very easy to be able to see that. And attention and to detail. Way. You want to see that. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is, it really is important, Tao, that we take, that we think about, um, that we think about, Kind of more as a, as a company, as an executive, that we think about who would we want to hire, who do we want representing us? Right, it, it really is. And so, uh, the final thing I would say that is probably on top of my list is if I see um, anyone just being kind of negative, bad mouthing, mm. you know, whether it be um, someone they work with. It's just that negative. You think, well, if they're going to bad mouth their current employer, yeah. you've seen that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Thank God it's Friday. Right. I can't believe I'm here. And, and they're, they're, it's always like, I can't believe it's Monday. Is it Friday yet? Again, it's one of those things where you think, well, if they feel that way about their current workplace, I'm certainly sure they would bring that to this new environment. Such 
Such good advice, by the way. Really, you've got to you got to think through some of this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Tao Nelson about social media consequences. A wonderful article she wrote titled "Dear Students: What You Post Can Wreck Your Life." So, for those uh, college students, even high school kids, as you're getting ready to try to get into college, and parents, we've got to uh, we've got to start instructing and informing our kids, the people that we have stewardship with and over about how to set up their their social media so that it actually lifts them closer to their goals instead of repelling them from the goals. We'll be back continuing the journey, helping you understand how to manage your own social media for better life and better results in life. Stick with us. Social. There's the social media anthem from, I guess, an association meeting on social media. Anyway, it's just great. Great music. And it's free. So I like the background singer, Social. Anyway, welcome back to the show. On the show, we're talking today about social media consequences and the article, Dear Students, What You Post Can Wreck Your Life. It was written by Tao Nelson. And uh, Tao is, uh, works at Indiana University in Bloomington. She's at the Kelly School of Business and is a team lead there in employer relations and student services. Also, um, just a wonderful, uh, has a great history of being a recruiter and understands that folks, what you're posting online, companies, schools, people that are looking to hire you and promote you and move you along in your career, they are paying attention to what you're posting. And so we got to be careful. Tao, again, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is super important. And um, one of the things that I you, – you talked about all the things that, that recruiters are looking for on your social media and the idea really that – the numbers the numbers are really against us in a lot of these things they they want 10 people out of 1000 that apply there's um if if you want to get into a good university or a good school thousands will apply and they can only take maybe hundreds so what are some things that we should we should make sure are on um our social media site and how do we i guess how can i still be me how do i still promote who i am sure. and not do it out of so much fear that my my Facebook page doesn't represent me. Right. You know, so so we can talk about two things. The first one is how you say, what, what can I do so I don't come across as boring, right? Yeah, right. Because there's a born, boring, sanitized version of yourself that no one really cares about. Um, so how do you do it in a way that uh, that tells you who you are without embarrassing your family's good name? Right. Right. With, and I think you had, we were asking earlier about what, when you, how, how can you be super vigilant? And I think a barometer that I would throw out there is before you hit post, like, retweet, whatever it is, think, do you want this ended up, you know, do you want this on the front page? Mm-hmm. Do you, because if, if you, then don't post it. If you do not want this, to show up on on the front page of a major newspaper, the front page, I mean, like a Jumbotron in Times Square, <laughs> whatever that might be, just right. don't post it. 
But see, that's easy for me in a way because I I kind of see my Facebook page and, and my social media um, as part of my brand, part of my imaging. So I always think, do I want – does this include people or exclude people? Does this bring more people in or, or take people out? But I think the average kind of citizen doesn't think that way. Think, no, they aren't. They aren't. And I think it goes back – to the data that, you know, I think we need to just underscore and, you know, say that 600% increase yeah. in, in employers using the screen in the past 10 years. And I can tell you, you can tell them right now, 70% are going to go to your social networking sites. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, I mean, really, it's they're just... Gonna, they're going to Google you. That's... So I think the easiest thing you can do is Google yourself. Yeah. And put on the lens of the, so the first thing you can do is Google yourself and think if, if a future boss, so if you're talking about we as professionals, look at it from a future boss. Yeah. And if there's anything out there that's incriminating, then delete it. I, I guess one thing I, I'm seeing though is, and if and if you don't if you if you want to make a big part of your identity and a big part of your social media page is your politics mm-hmm. okay do it but recognize you've just halved your market right That's i mean there's right. a consequence That's you right. can do it but there's a consequence there, 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 you are correct yes and so when we step back and think about um what what could you do? What are the things you can do? So, you know, when I think about as a, as a recruiter, we in, – in my article, I wanted to share that, you know, we're talking about what you shouldn't do. But there are things that when I look at a profile, I'm like, wow, this is great. This person, their personality, their background, it matches. Right. It matches. And, and, and it's positive for me. It's, it's good. I have a good feeling about it because what happens on a resume, it's really hard to gauge like personality mm-hmm. and fit. Right. It, it's like, because every organization like a family has values. And we're trying to, you know, because at the bottom line is, can you do the job? So I always think, can you do the job? Right. Right. But can, do you. So. There are three things when I was interviewing Matt. Can you do the job? Do you want it at my company? And the third one is, do I like you? And when I say, do I like you, I think about that organization and the values. And so I'm looking. Those are the things that are kind of going through my mind. So when I think about social media, what are the things that people have on their profile that helps me make a positive decision about them. So again, it's very easy. I look at their education and their work experiences and their skills that they're highlighting to say, okay, well, are these the skills and the experiences that would, that would make them successful in this role? Um, you know, I look at initially just look at the picture and just think, is it professional? Like when we were talking about the guy holding the weapon, it's not, I mean, I right. can't, if we line up a hundred people, would a hundred people say that that photo is professional? Right. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a hobby. I mean, I guess too. It, you, you could also have a guy with a boa constrictor around his neck. <laughs> it's just still not professional, it's still, right? Is it professional? Right. And so, when I think about the positive things, so most organizations um, do good, right? In the organizations I've worked at, there, there's huge community involvement. So, for example, I had worked for a former healthcare company. And there were two organizations that were really big, and the company just went all hands on deck to support Habitat and United Way. Mm. 
and so when we were looking at candidates, I think that's a positive thing. If, if you know, you had a candidate that um, always did a women's build, for instance, or always did a build, it was something to talk about, to say, oh, that's great that, you know, I can see that's important to you. That's one of our important organizations that we give to. And so you can also see, you know, maybe this is a person that can come in and be a part of that team. Yeah. No, I love that. And so it's making sure that uh, the organizations that you follow, right, or the organizations that you like, and the social, community, uh, religious, whatever those are that make you, that you're involved in, if it aligns with the values of those organizations, that's positive. And then the final thing I would add is, especially on LinkedIn, testimonials. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you are in the marketplace looking for, um, you know, you're, try, you're thinking about changing careers, I would say make sure that you have really strong testimonials. Because that, that, yeah. that says people know you and what they've seen. They, they're just giving a, a testimony of what they've seen you do. And, and you know what? I, it's very interesting when I think about testimonials on LinkedIn because that takes effort. That takes effort for someone to say, okay, I'm going to write something and then I'm going to post it. Yeah. It's not just a call that someone says, yeah, I'll be more than happy to talk about Matt and when I worked with him at XYZ. But for someone to take the time and write um, a glowing testimonial that really talks about the work that they did, right, their character, how they approached work, what were the results so the ones that are pretty descriptive around those um, those skills are positive to me. I'll go down there and look at the testimonials and see, well, what, what did people say about them? So I think it would be important to maybe get a testimonial from a, a, formal, a former boss. Yeah. So if you're a consultant, a client, and wouldn't it be great to get one from a colleague? Such a great idea. Right? And Someone who worked on your team to say, hey, this is the kind of team player Matt is. Let me describe him to you. That's great. And really, um, that, that should be part of your portfolio, right? Part mm-hmm. of your bio that you're building right. is – and again, we, I, we write them all the time, letters of recommendation. But if, you have, if I've already written you a letter of recommendation, then I could easily just copy and paste whatever my recommendation was into that into testimonial. Mm-hmm. And you know what I find, Matt, surprising sometimes when you do ask for testimonials for the people who have worked with you and really know you, you'll be surprised – how um, that they can share your personality and your profile in a really positive light that you're like, oh, really? That's interesting. I like that. Like yeah. you, you just Something's come natural to you and you don't think about it, but it's really nice to have a colleague who's worked with you side by side. So who's good. Who's able to, to vouch for you in a way where you think, oh, well, that was interesting. I never even thought about that. And one of my colleagues, and, um, and I've done consulting work similar to you, and she was on my uh, project team. And one of the things that she had shared with me is she said, you know, when we have to talk to the client and we have to deliver somewhat bad news, Mm -hmm. projects going might be derailed or, and she said, you know, I call on you, Tao. She goes, I call on you because I feel that you can have those difficult conversations without make, without make and not making them feel bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, I thought, well, that's interesting. I, no one has ever told me that. But it's the ability to kind of call others who they can describe who you are yeah. as a person, a colleague. That's great. And they can do it sometimes, describe you and your abilities better than you can yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, I guess, earlier in, in your career, those seems, things seem to matter even more because you don't have other things to lean on. That's right. 
This is great advice. Great advice. We've got about one minute left. If if we had to just say, what's the one thing that every parent maybe ought to be in, in you know getting into their kids' brains from a young age? Because one of the points is, once it's posted, it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't. It doesn't. So, uh, from a putting on our parent hat, I would say Matt is. I, I know my my, uh, my kids' passwords. Mm. So I, you know, they're 11 and they're 13, and uh, my 13-year-old just recently got his phone. That's what he got when he turned 13. Yeah. And we have a contract. We have a contract with my son. And I think the most important thing is that it is not his phone. Um, my husband and I own that phone. We're just, we're loaning it to him. We're yeah. loaning it to him uh, with uh, a contract. And so what I say, the biggest thing is I have access anytime. I, I have access. It. So when they're younger, I think it's important. Right? Yeah. It's important to manage that and to say that, look, until, until you are old enough to buy your own phone and pay for your monthly bill contract, uh, it is our phone. And so I think being able to just go in there and look. I mean, I think a part mm-hmm. of it is right now I trust them. I, I've looked. There's no reason. Mm-hmm. There's no reason, but I think it's important for us to continue to have these teaching moments. And because I think if you, you should be following your kids, right? So yeah. you can see that. And if there's something that's inappropriate, you need to call them out on it. And fast and early and then and then and have these discussions. The key, that's I guess, right. is to continue right. to have these discussions that will eventually make it so uh, that there aren't the surprises that we, we've been working on this since they were 13 and they got their first phone. Well, Tao Nelson, we appreciate you and uh, your great work. Um, again, everybody, you can follow um, you can find Tao on Twitter at T-H-A Tao Nelson at Tao Nelson, T-H-A-O. Uh, N-E-L-S-O-N at Tao Nelson on Twitter. You can find her on LinkedIn as well. Great stuff. And um, we've got to pay attention, folks. You don't want to have the surprise. Then all of a sudden you can't get the job. That's not going to work. We'll take a break. Stick with us when we come back. We'll be wrapping up the show, teeing up screen cleaning with Jeffrey Simpson up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, that's the music that says it's time to wrap up this uh, this week. And uh, I got to get ready to get out of here because Jeff is going to be uh, starting his show, Screen Cleaning, in just a bit. But before um, before we get too far, Jeff, what's going to be on your show today? What's coming in? Well, we teased this a little earlier, but, uh, you know, Terry likes to watch a lot of movie trailers and uh, he he does show a little restraint, and so he doesn't want to see everything that's in the movie. And a lot of directors are complaining because they don't have a lot of creative control over what goes in the movie oh, trailers. It's a marketing They're decision. complaining that uh, there are too many spoilers in their trailers, and these trailers are ruining movies. <laughs> that's true. I agree. I've thought to myself, well, now I don't need to see that. Yeah. It's that, all in the trailer. Done. Done. Yeah. I guess that might be – if the trailer's really incredibly good – it may just be that's all there is in the movie is that two minutes. Well, you yeah, they'll put in the best parts, and then you go see it and think, oh, hmm. all the funny parts were in the trailer. Not quite as good as I thought. Okay, so that's straight ahead. Also, a superhero and supervillain all-star team Cole mm. and I are putting together. Cool. Because the all-star uh, roster is now complete. The Full, games the ba- on Tuesday. The baseball all-stars? Yep. Yes. 
That's good stuff. Yeah. Great show. And straight ahead. You don't even have to wait. It's it's only like a few minutes away. You might have time to go to the bathroom. Go to the restroom. If you're driving, just pull over. Um, But then go. Anyway, good to be with you. It's been a great week. Remember, we can't do the show without you. So join us every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern. And uh, stick with us as we now get into screen cleaning and, and help you live a healthier, safer media world as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk again next week. Are you going to be doing this show long, Jeff? As long as it takes, Cole. I'm going to show families around the world their Friday and Saturday nights don't belong to the morally corrupt. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of thinking there's no good entertainment out there. And I can't do that as Jeff Simpson. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored, I can be fired, but if I do a show, I can make a difference. I can be everlasting. Needs a name. How about screen cleaning? Hmm, sounds good. Screen cleaning, that's what we're here to do. We're here to make a difference. We're here to get you your Friday and Saturday nights back to give you some options on what you can watch together. And also just to show you, there's not just entertainment that's full of morally corrupt people behind it. No. There's good entertainment out there for the whole family to enjoy. We're here every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And uh, like I said, yeah, we're here to help you find, help your family find quality entertainment to enjoy together. Each week we interview people in the biz, we bring you exclusive trailers and commercials, and we bring you the very best in entertainment news. And speaking of entertainment news, here are our picks for the best entertainment news from the past week. Let's start off with Netflix. Netflix, Cole, do you use Netflix at all? Once or twice. Yeah, you know. okay. Um, there's a movie that's coming out on Netflix that you don't have to go to the Red Box for anymore. It's a little film called Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. It was actually pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised. I was worried that it wasn't going to be very good, but uh, you should definitely check it out. I think that with Netflix, I can now fast forward to the half hour to go mark and just watch my favorite spot of the film over and over again without (sighs) having to sit through the boring planet hopping. The last half hour is what you're saying. Yes. So you think the movie overall was boring? No, 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 no. Because it left a great taste in my mouth because the last half hour was great. All right. All right. The first three quarters of it was You probably want to go back and watch uh, episode four either right before or right after. Absolutely. Yes. Because it's kind of like Star Wars episode uh, 3.9. Tease it up right for you. Yeah. Uh, In our uh, trailer news, best trailer news, there's this guy that's putting out all these 8-bit trailers, and he's done it again. He put out a trailer for Thor Ragnarok which uh, basically looks like another Guardians of the Galaxy movie. But uh, here's just a little bit of the music from that trailer. Oh, this reminds me of video games, which is interesting because last week on Screen Cleaning we talked about video games. And, uh, yes, makes the trailer look even more entertaining as an 8-bit video game. I think everything would. 
Oh, yeah. And you can go check it out. Just just Google 8-bit movie trailers, and he's got a whole bunch of them. They're not all just Marvel, but uh, this one is, and it's a good one. And uh, yesterday, this is in our best baseball news, or sports news, I guess I, guess I should say. Sports is entertainment, too. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We don't just let Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation do all the sports news. Uh, the All-Star teams were completed, or the roster was completed yesterday, and Justin Turner from the Dodgers was one of the last picks on there. So excited for that. Josh Harrison from the Pirates is making an appearance as well. Oh, there you go. And Cody Bellinger is going to be in the Home Run Derby. He's also on the Dodgers. All I'm saying, all I'm saying. But Cole and I, in keeping with our superhero theme that we have going on the show today, uh, we wanted to put together our own superhero and supervillain all-star teams to play baseball, actually. And uh, I'm going to let you start with the supervillains, but uh, why don't you give us, why don't you cue up some baseball music for us? So who's on your supervillain team? All right, so on the mound for me, I will have Bullseye, the supervillain of Daredevil. He did make an appearance in the less than great 2003 Daredevil okay. movie. Um, he's yet to show up in the Netflix series, though, and and mm. considering he's one of Daredevil's, I think, best villains throughout the course of the comic books, I'm waiting for that. Okay. Um, Bullseye, the name implies he's really accurate, and so he'll be able to throw that ball just where it needs to be, in the strike zone or just outside. Okay. I think he's a pretty good pitcher. Um, and then... Also on my team, I will have Sportsmaster, who is a DC villain that, fun fact, in the 1970s did compile a baseball game between the heroes and the villains of the time. It was a, it's a pretty interesting read if you have 1970s comic books lying around like I did whenever I was growing up. And then, in honor of Spider-Man Homecoming, which has just come out, I, I had to take one of Spider-Man's rogues, and I chose Venom. Ooh, that's a good team. Hmm. I think so. It's pretty good. I don't know if it can beat my team. I should preface uh, my list by saying one of the great things about baseball, and, you know, to me, it is still America's pastime. I know it kind of gets a lot of flack these days. People think it's boring. That's why you're not a millennial, Jeff. Um, But I still think it's America's uh, great pastime. And one of the greatest things about it, which is kind of being taken out of the game uh, as time goes by, is the human element. Because, you know, now they can they can check out – they get a certain number of instant repl- or, uh, replays so that they can check the call. But uh, it's still one of the more human element-driven games, in my opinion. And so that's actually something that I enjoy in my – uh, superheroes. Each one of these superheroes is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Does not have any like weird power where they, you know, were mutated or they, you know, fell into a pile of chemicals. They're just regular people doing extraordinary things, and they're deeply flawed. All mm-hmm. three of them. So I've got to start out with my favorite superhero of all time, which is Batman. And I'm going to put him as my utility player because he's got that utility belt that he wears, right? But um, Yes, excellent. And, uh, you know, he's somebody that kind of pretends 
to be he's kind of a reluctant playboy, or at least in the Christopher Nolan version, mm-hmm. he he has to pretend like he's this this bad boy, but he's really he cares deeply and uh, has questionable methods for bringing about justice. Uh, my pitcher, another very deeply flawed person, but he knows it and he isn't trying to pretend to be something he's not, and it's Iron Man. Who would uh, – he's got great aim with those little blasts that he shoots out of his suit. And, uh, yeah, just a pro from the beginning. Put on that suit, knew immediately how to use it. Yeah. And then for my manager, this one's going to be lesser known. Okay. His name is Mr. Furious. Do you know who Mr. Furious is? I do, but educate the people, All right. So Mr. Furious is a character – a comic book character actually – uh, from a lesser-known comic, and the movie that he comes from is Mystery Men, mm-hmm. one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Part of 1999, the greatest year for movies, in my opinion. One of the of many movies to feature <laughs> All Star from Smash Mouth. Uh, I think every movie that year actually oh, you did pretty have All Star. Yeah, it. yeah. And I put him as the manager because he is just always, or he he's somebody also that. Pretends to be something that he's not, and he his powers are that he's really furious. And what I love about him is he's an underdog, and you always want to root for the underdog in sports, right? Do you? Because oh, yeah. my manager is none other than Lex Luthor, who is pretty much the manager. I mean, the Yankees are the ultimate villain in sports in general because they have all the money and they're be able they're able to do all that, and because they have all that money. They win, Jeff. And so Lex Luthor is going to take his scientific know-how and his money and compile a great team that can just tear apart your hero's team. Well, if you go watch Mystery Men, you'll see how it all ends. (laughs) Um, And you really should go see Mystery Men. As far as, uh, you know, superhero movies go, it's pretty tame. The violence isn't that extreme, and it's pretty clean, not a lot of language. It's got Kel Mitchell, if you were missing that from the That's 90s. That's right. He plays Invisible Boy, who is only invisible when absolutely when absolutely no one is watching. Right. There's also the bowler, played by Janine Garofalo, who has her father's skull inside of a bowling ball. It's got uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens. I won't say what his, uh, what his powers are. You'll William have to H. go Macy see the movie. is there as well. He's got... A shovel, and so he is the shoveler. (laughs) Yes, he shovels well. He shovels very well. Oh, yes. uh, Which is what he tells his wife. And then there's the real superhero in the movie, which is played by Greg Kinnear. He's Captain Amazing, who has uh, patches of sponsors plastered all over his uh, uniform. And he goes out of commission. He is actually captured by the supervillain Casanova Frankenstein. And Mm -hmm. so it is up to this ragtag team of wannabe superheroes, the Mystery Men, uh, to save him. And uh, it doesn't end the way you think it might. That's all I'm going to say. Go see it. So funny. Mystery Men rated PG-13. We're going to take a break. When we come back, have you ever wondered what it's like to walk the floor at Comic-Con? Well, when we return, we'll give you a chance to spend a few minutes in my shoes as I mingle with the heroes and villains at Salt Lake Comic Con. We'll be right back. You 
You know, back when I was just starting out on Dr. Matt's show, I had the opportunity to attend Comic-Con in Salt Lake City. Have you ever been, Cole? I have not, but it's on the bucket list. It is quite an experience, to say the least. I wanted to have some fun with the elaborately dressed fans at the big event, so I put together a quiz to see how dedicated these fans were, and this is from Salt Lake Comic-Con 2016. I'm standing here in the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City for Salt Lake Comic-Con. Uh, otherwise known as Halloween. There are lots of people here dressed in all sorts of outrageous outfits. They've got bags and they're going around collecting candy. As you know, we at the Matt Townsend Show are all about answering the important questions in life. So we thought, who better to ask than superheroes and supervillains at Comic-Con? So I got a couple of quiz questions here for you guys. This is name your superhero slash name your supervillain. I'm going to name either their alias or their actual name. You tell me one or the other, okay? We'll start with a kind of a softball. Who is Scott Lang? Cyclops. No, no, no. Scott Lang, Ant-Man. Ding, 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 ding. Here's another one. Who is Black Widow? Natasha Romanoff. We also would have accepted Hillary Clinton for Black Widow. I'm looking at a very interesting piece right now. Um, it's from Peanuts, you know, Charles Schultz. And uh, I don't think I don't think Lucy should be taking a bite out of Linus's arm like that. They're zombified, and uh, I'm just going to walk over here now. Uh, one more question. Is the war on drugs succeeding? What? Harry Potter, I want to ask you this question. If you could elect any superhero to the presidency, who would it be and why? You know what? I'll say I'll say Warshak because he knows when the end is apparently, although he is very insane. Man, I think you're really going to wish that you were here. There is Deadpool paraphernalia everywhere. I just passed a Deadpool truffle. There's a Deadpool license plate. I could go on. I it's like Bubba from Forrest Gump. Deadpool hamburgers. Deadpool keychains. Deadpool oven mitts. Okay. What is Magneto's actual name? Eric? Eric? That's close enough. It's actually Max Eisenhardt. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Probably Magneto. But you didn't know his name. I know. You thought it was Eric. Okay. Should judges exclude prospective jurors after questioning them and determining they do not favor the law which the prosecution seeks to enforce? What was the question one more time? Deadpool breath mints. Deadpool coasters. Deadpool baby strollers. How did you feel when they killed off Harrison Ford in this last movie? I haven't seen the newest Star Wars movie yet. Oh, oh darn it. <laughs> um, you didn't hear that from me, okay? Should someone who has sworn an oath to protect the Constitution, but who then votes to allocate tax funds to programs or departments not authorized by that Constitution, should that person be punished? If not, why? They should not be punished because certain... So well, it depends. Are these social programs or defense programs? It's okay to defend the Constitution, which also defends your right to allocate money to social programs, 
that support citizens that are also defended by that Constitution. Deadpool, kosher meals. Okay, Matt, I'm so excited. I finally found a Batman. There have been a ton of Harley Quinns and a ton of Jokers, but uh, no Batmans until this one. So I'm standing here with Batman, and he has agreed to uh, voice a little promo for us for the Matt Townsend Show in his Batman bear voice. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Will we help you to live longer and love stronger? Well, that was a lot of fun. I remember that as if it was yesterday. <laughs> um, if you want to go check out, uh, if you're local here, you can go check out Salt Lake Comic Con, which is September 21st through the 23rd. There are Comic Cons all over the world, though, so get online and find out where it is, and you won't be disappointed. It'll be like Halloween in September. So uh, check it out where you can see all the interestingly dressed heroes and villains at Comic-Con. Up next, we'll be speaking with Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews, who's here to discuss with me why trailers are ruining movies. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning. Have you ever seen a movie trailer that showed a little too much and thought, well, now I don't even need to see the movie? Well, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews is here to talk to us about how movie trailers may be ruining these movies that we so dearly want to see and, you know, that we spend our hard-earned cash on. And, uh, Rod, welcome to Screen Cleaning. Hey, hello, Jeff. How are you? Good. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Um, first of all, though, I was hoping you could g- give us a short review of one of the biggest offenders and latest offenders in uh, ruining movies through trailers, Spider-Man Homecoming, which it doesn't. I don't think it's going to do that well this weekend. You don't think it's going to do that well? I, I tend to disagree, Jeff. I think this thing is going to blow the roof off the box office. In fact, Fandango yesterday released that. Um, and so I should explain for those who don't know Fandango, of course, you can pre-buy your movie tickets from them. And so they're a pretty good barometer as far as the buzz and anticipation for a movie. They say Spider-Man is blowing the doors off of Wonder Woman. And you remember all the buzz that one has. Oh, yeah. So I think Spider-Man, yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming. And I know you were being sarcastic. I think this is going to <laughs> do amazing things in spite of the trailer, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. Wonderful film. I, I understand why the critics are loving this and why the audiences that have had a chance to see this at, at pre-screenings are loving it, too, because it's a Marvel Comics movie and it has a story. Imagine that a superhero yeah. <laughs> movie with a story. <laughs> and from a parent previous perspective, it's a good story. This is a uh, this is a Spider-Man who played by Tom Holland, by the way, and uh, he's 15 years old. And uh, this is a, a teenage protagonist that um, offers some very positive role modeling and uh, and some positive messages. Um, mainly because this Spider-Man really is quite fallible. He is a teenager who, when he is accepted into becoming a, I'm trying to remember what it is now, he's going to the Tony Stark mentoring school or whatever it is, and uh, and he is just so hyped up about being able to hang up, hang out with these superhero celebrities, and uh, so he becomes a little prideful, and Tony basically says, hey kid, you aren't ready yet, you're going to, this takes time. Well, 
like any teenager, time, what do you mean? Like maybe a couple of hours? <laughs> so he goes out <laughs> and starts taking on riskier and riskier adventures to try and prove that he can be part of the Avengers circle. He wants to join the Avengers. And of course, when he goes out and does that, what happens was it doesn't quite work out quite as well as he thought it would. And, uh, and so, which I think is a wonderful Wonderful lesson about patience and uh, and all of those other things about being willing to work together as a team and uh, and just overall a great film. It's got some good writing to it and uh, and of course it's got some action, uh, lots of action actually going on as well. And did you stick? Did you uh, stay clear through the the uh, credits to see how many post credit scenes there were? Uh, you will want to stay till the very, very end, and uh, I think I'd have to rank this. Okay, you need to understand, I'm not much of a comic person, as I've mentioned this before, and sometimes I stay for those post-credit scenes, and I think, oh, really? Like, who was that? Who's that guy? How does he fit in? This one, anyone can understand, and is great. <laughs> well, I'll be seeing it. They've got my money already. Cole's going to be seeing it. I know uh, Terry's seeing it tomorrow, so it's going to be huge. Now, I, I'm, I'm hoping to talk to you a little bit about <sighs> just why they're putting so much content in these trailers. And, you know, we read this article about directors that are complaining about how these studios are, are ruining their movies because they're putting spoilers in these trailers. And uh, how how much... Creative control, do you think these directors have when it comes to the content in their trailers? Very, very little. You know, this is something that I think we're going to see coming on the radar more and more because the, the DGA, the Directors, Directors Guild of America, is uh, the organization that is often uh, advocating for increased rights of uh, creative rights for directors over their products. And the trailers have never really been on the table. There are a couple of directors who have managed to exercise some control over this by saying, look, if you want me to make the movie, uh, I get to determine what goes into the trailer. But for the most part, uh, this is happens far and away from the creative aspects of the movie, um, which is why often you'll even see in trailers, you'll see little snippets and scenes in a trailer that weren't even in the movie. And, right. Uh, in it, fact, it, Terry it, was just saying on Matt's show today that they're creating scenes that they are purposely not going to put in the movie. Mm -hmm. So you have to watch yes. the trailer to see it. Yeah. The other thing that really bugs me, too, is the dependence on popular music in the trailers. And then those songs rarely are actually in the movie. They only license them for the trailer. Like, I mean, if I hear uh, Spirit in the Sky or Taking Care of Business in one more movie trailer, to, <laughs> that's it. I've had it. But, you know, that's the other thing that, that there's a I mean, this is really all about marketing. When you think about it, Jeff, wouldn't you love to create an advertising model that people will line up to see? And that's what movie trailers are. They're advertisements. They're done by the marketing department. And they're, they're really completely removed, for the most part, from the creative people who have put the movie together. So I wonder if uh, moviegoers are complaining because clearly it doesn't seem to affect the ticket sales because people watch all the trailers, then they buy the tickets to go see these movies. So may, is it just wonder if it's just people in Hollywood that are criticizing the trailers or if or if fans are upset too. You know, that one's a tough one. I I haven't really seen too much of a correlation between 
um, a known commodity. So now let me explain. So a known commodity, for instance, Spider-Man, okay? I don't think a good trailer or a bad trailer is really going to affect the outcome of Spider-Man. But there certainly have been movies in the past that I think have been injured by their trailers. Um, movies where, you know, people really don't know what this movie is about. And I think that maybe they would have done better had they had a better trailer. But often I find a poor trailer also comes with poor advertising and other promotions as well. It almost there are certain movies that come down the pipe that you feel like the studio said, nah, we're not going to invest in this one. We'll just stick it on a few screens and get this done and get it off to home video. Yeah. And so I find it usually falls into that category. Now, I wonder if there's an impact of studios showing too little in movie trailers because there's the example that that came out recently of David Lynch not wanting anybody to know anything mm -hmm. about his series Twin Peaks before it debuted and you know he went as far as to not even letting uh, the bulk of his cast seeing the the script in its entirety he would just show them little snippets the scenes that they were in just enough so that they could get through the scene but uh, he didn't want anybody to have the surprise spoiled for them and here we are talking about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that uh, these days the problem really is they're showing too much in trailers, in my opinion. Uh, but these days having somebody show too little usually creates a lot of buzz and a lot of anticipation on the Internet. And uh, and so, you know, I think maybe some we may see more of a push in that direction where, and again, this really depends on like a guy like David Lynch having control of his trailers. Uh, you know, it depends on those, that small handful of directors that have managed to negotiate that. So, you know, for me, I think the too little thing really results in anticipation and increased buzz because then people just start speculating all over the place. You go onto Reddit or Facebook or anything else and there's just wild speculation. Uh, and that, I think, increases the buzz. Yeah. And, you know, just like you said, that trailers have not always been this way. You know, a teaser trailer used to only be 30 seconds or a minute, and now it's close to three minutes. But I, to be honest, I would prefer trailers the way they are now and just maybe show a little restraint and not watch every single one that comes out much more than to watch the trailers that they used to put out, like you were talking about, just really heavy on on uh, voiceover and not really showing good scenes from the... the oh, I, I see a lot of really horrible trailers back from the 70s and 80s. They did not know mm -hmm. how to make a good movie trailer back then. No, they really didn't. And now it seems like once we ditched the voiceover, now we're much more dependent on using snippets from the film, dialogue from the film. And I find that often uh, either that doesn't glue together very well. And so you have a bit of a, a bit of a mishmash as far as, well, what is this movie about? Or they wind up revealing key plot points that probably would have been better left unseen. So, you know, Jeff, I must admit, I'm probably the wrong guy to talk to about this because I rarely watch a trailer before I see the movie. <laughs> I really like going in cold and going in blind and, 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 and not having really too much of an idea. And I'm fortunate because as a film reviewer, we rarely get trailers in front of our movies when they're screened to us. Uh, whereas, of course, if you're going to a regular film, you're going to sit through 10 minutes of trailers. And so you're going to see them. But for me, I, I, I see very few of them before I see the movie. Yeah. And, you know, one one aspect of this discussion that we haven't talked about yet is misleading trailers. 
Um, you know, I when I was thinking about examples of this, one that came to mind right away was uh, Suicide Squad, which mm-hmm. had a great ad campaign. Looked like it was going to be so much fun, you know. And again. They put in a lot of music. Who's not going to see a movie that features the song Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, right? Mm -hmm. That's a song that really gets people into the movie theater. Um, But then I I went to go see it and uh, not as good as the movie trailer. Um, Not the good time that the the trailer led me to believe that I was going to have. And just another couple of of, of examples – uh, a lot of people complained about the trailer for the film Sweeney Todd, which is a yes. musical, but you watch the trailer and you would never guess that it was a musical because they've stripped it all out. They make it just look like a, a revenge movie, you know, without that, the music. Yeah, that was a very curious choice. You know, for me, the ones I find that are the most misleading are ones that are often serious stories, but they're concerned that they can't sell a serious story, especially to a family audience. I mean, a classic one, Bridge to Terabithia. You know, I remember I did watch the trailer before that film, and I'm a huge spoiler alert coming along here if you haven't seen the movie, but that is one serious movie. Our our main, one of our main characters actually dies. And, you know, this is involving young adolescent children. And I mean, it's a beautiful movie. I really enjoyed it. But the trailer just totally misrepresented it. And then there's the advocacy movies. I find often they hide advocacy. And one that actually made me angry was this love story, Me Before You, which is a huge advocacy piece for doctor-assisted suicide, which personally I strongly disagree with and especially in this movie it's about the sporty something rich guy who just whines and complains because his life is so miserable because he's paralyzed the trailer makes it look like a lovely little love story but then you watch the movie and you think oh my goodness what's going on here so i find they often try and bury important aspects of movies that they think well this isn't going to sell so we better we better make it look like yeah. something else well rod much like you i some of the best movie going experiences i've had have been when i've gone in blind not knowing anything about the movie or not seeing the trailer for it and when we come back i want to take a break when we come back you and i are going to share some of those pleasant surprise experiences with movies we're each going to share three of our picks for pleasant surprises when we return this is screen clean Stick with us. One of the best experiences that I have watching movies is discovering some hidden gem or some movie that I knew nothing about that just knocked me off my feet. And Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews is here to talk to us. Uh, We're going to share, we're each going to share a list of three films that were pleasant surprises for us. Now, these are films that either uh, we went in blind, meaning we didn't know anything about the movie or we haven't seen the trailer, or perhaps we enjoyed in spite of the trailer. So, Rod, we're going to have about eight minutes to do this, and I'm going to let you go first with your number three pick. I promise to go faster this time. Okay, (laughs) number three pick. Okay, number three pick's a bit of a subtle one, and uh, I'm sure it won't be on your list. A couple of months ago, we had this crazy little kids movie called Monster Trucks. 
And I have an appreciation for movies that are made for that little range of about seven-year-olds to 11-year-olds. We don't get many of those. Monster Trucks looked like such a stupid movie in the trailer. And yet it actually is a surprisingly good little film that's a great story for that small segment age group. So there was one for me that I thought the trailer really didn't do it justice as far as um, what the movie actually contained. I am shocked to hear you say that because all the trailers that I saw, I just groaned (laughs) through the entire trailer. Oh, but that's good to know because I actually feel like this has been a really weak year for uh, kids' movies. So that's good to know. So maybe when my daughters are are a little older, I'll show them that one. Uh, I'm I'm having a hard time choosing number three, but I'm going to go with this one. Uh, This is one that we enjoyed in spite of the trailer. Every time we saw this trailer, we just moaned and groaned. It looked like it was going to be crude and that our kids would repeat all the crude things that were said during the trailer. But this one is my number three pick, and it's Trolls. Oh, yes. Yeah, Trolls was so much fun due to such a wonderful, energetic soundtrack put together by Justin Timberlake, who also voices one of the main characters. And as you know, these trolls are trying to avoid being eaten by these Bergens who, who believe that their only path to happiness is to eat these trolls who are so full of happiness. It's just a funny, energetic happy movie and i i loved it in spite of the trailer and the soundtrack really oh, is yeah. fun i mean the moment you say that that song's in my head <laughs> absolutely is. okay so what's right. your number two number two for me was one that we had last christmas that i thought really was not promoted well and it was called collateral beauty this is the will smith movie oh, did you right. have a chance to see that no i never did no you know, a, an amazing story that is, it's one of those serious movies that in the trailer you could tell, like, this is a trailer that needed a voiceover guy, because that would have been the better way to do it. Because when you just try and take snippets of dialogue and glue it together, it just looks like a mess. It looks boring. It looks dumb. But it's actually a really deep and powerful movie with a wonderful twist in it that I really enjoyed. So Collateral Beauty, that was one for me, a pleasant surprise. Okay. This is one I went in completely blind. I was visiting Utah, had somebody drop me off at a movie theater. I didn't have anybody picking me up for a while, so I saw a double feature. One of the films I did not enjoy, which was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But this Mm -hmm. one I did enjoy, knew nothing about it, and it's my favorite, well... It, it's the Michael Bay movie that I think that I like. And uh, it's a film called The Island. Have ah, you ever seen The Island? No, I have never seen The Island. So, I, I don't really go chasing after Michael Bay movies. Right. Now you've got me curious. Well, I won't spoil too much of it. And again, I, I'm not saying that this is the greatest movie ever made and it you know follows in the same – it's the same vein as a lot of the other Michael Bay movies with a lot of explosions and chases. But it stars Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. They are these two people in this that, – that live at this interesting facility that uh, – you know, you're you can only have a certain number of calories. You can't fraternize with members of the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you win this lottery, then you get to go to the island. And about forty minutes into it, maybe thirty minutes into it, Ewan McGregor discovers what the island really is, and it's not what you would expect or hope. So. 
Really good. Uh-huh. Edge of your seat. Anytime this movie is on TV, I will sit down and watch it. It was just so enjoyable, as I said, even though it's not the greatest movie ever made. But that's my number two. So, so what year did that come out? Any idea? Oh, like, it, was, oh it was probably... It was before I was married, so 2007 yeah. maybe? Yeah, okay. All right, yeah. well, I'm going to have to dig that one up. Okay, well, drum roll. Number one <laughs> in, my, yes, in my pleasant surprise list that has become a Gustafson family favorite and actually has got quite a large cult following, and I thought this would be just a dud of a movie going back almost two decades ago, Galaxy Quest. Oh, I, I love, love that Galaxy movie. Quest. yeah. And, you know, when I, I remember watching the trailer and the promotions when that film was gearing up to come out, and it just looked like one of those films that we're just going to dump it here and, and hope it goes away. I, you know, if you have, if you don't absolutely love Star Trek and Star Wars, but you just kind of have that kind of funny relationship where you can laugh at it, but you still like it and you hate to admit you like it. Galaxy Quest will just ring all your bells because I just think it's one of the most creative spoof movies ever done. It's just so much fun. I recently, and I'm talking months ago, had to twist my mother-in-law's arm to sit down and watch this film. And afterwards, she was so grateful she did because she had a great time. Such a good movie. That was Galaxy Quest? Yes, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, It just really, you know, what's funny about this film, Jeff, is we've shown it to some people and they laugh their heads off. And then we show it to other people. And if you're not part of that, we find if if you've never watched Star Trek, you won't get it. And if you're one of those people that goes to the Star Trek conventions, you may even be to the point of being a little bit offended by it. But if you're in the (laughs) middle, you get it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's my number one. Again, this is another one that I went in blind, didn't really know anything about it. But after I watched it, I thought this is as close to a perfect film as you can get, in my opinion. And uh, it's a film that's I think it was released in the 70s called The Day of the Jackal. Oh, okay. Have yes, you seen that, course. Rod? I saw that so long ago, I can hardly remember it. <laughs> I want to say Dustin Hoffman, but isn't, I'm wrong, aren't I? No, it's, you know, it's, I don't really know any of the actors. And that's, I mean, that can be, that can be the making ah, of a really good film. Edward, people that don't have big Ed, names, you know? Yeah, Edward Fox, Terrence Alexander. Yeah, you're right. Yes. I, I don't remember either of those guys. See this film. It You know, a lot of the problems with these films uh, and TV shows, too, about, you know, CSI and all these police forces is that they – they tend to have young, attractive people when in reality, those are not the people that would be on these tasks task force. You know, it's usually mm-hmm. middle aged men who are graying or maybe they're overweight. But that's what I see. And another good example of that is the cast in The Fugitive. You know, those are the types mm-hmm. of people that would actually have these jobs. And uh, it's just a really taut, tight thriller uh, I would go, I would recommend it. And I don't believe there's too much in the way of uh, bad content. Uh, I don't, hmm, I don't know. Well, I don't you want know, to... <laughs> it gets the old PG rating. And, yes, and so with yeah. the old PG rating, you got to be, you know, you got to be a little bit careful because of they often had uh, more um, sexual content. So for instance, in the day of the jackal, yeah. Okay. So I'm cheating, but there is, there's a little scene (laughs) of nudity where a woman gets out of bed and it was quite common to see 
female nudity in those movies in a non-sexual context. So yeah, so you'd have to look out for that. What I did like about this era though, is they could make action movies that were built on tension from really good writing rather than depending on special effects and a lot of violence. And uh, so yeah, you've got me curious on this one. This is one I'd like to have a look at. Yeah. Well, Rod, we really appreciate your time here on Screen Cleaning. We had a great time talking about how movie trailers are spoiling movies for us and uh, and also just, you know, if you want to have a good, pleasant surprise experience when you watch a movie, just go in blind. Go yes. in not knowing anything about it and forget the trailer. Rod, Absolutely. We'll, talk, <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks again, Rod. Thank you, Jeff. We're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer Linton and Brian Logan. When we return, this is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. to head over to BYU Sports Nation to speak with Spencer Linton and Brian Logan. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm feeling okay, although I am a little bit sad I didn't get to play softball with you and the boys last night, Jeff. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, it was kind of, uh, we showed up, we had eight players, they had seven, so we won automatically. Yes! <laughs> nice. Yes! But then... Okay, I don't feel so bad. Then we just had a pickup game, and there was an inning where our team went through the batting order almost three times, I think. So you missed wow. an opportunity to get a lot of hitting in. And to pad the stats in a... <laughs> In a, a, a default win, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Stats, bro. You know, <laughs> four foot. You gotta take, you gotta take advantage. <laughs> Did you count stats in a four foot? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of baseball, Brian and Spencer, um, I'm sure you saw the final All Star roster and home run derby roster. Mm-hmm. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? I did not see that, but yep. I think the judge will rule in favor of himself. That's what I think. Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees is a boss. Hmm. He, every time he steps on the field, I feel like we're talking about some sort of new mark that he's set or new record. Like it's <laughs> pretty incredible what he's doing. But I know you lean towards your guy with the Dodgers, Jeff. Uh, who, who do you mean? Oh, wait. He's not in the home run derby, is he? No, he is. I just wanted to hear you say his name. Uh, <laughs> oh, Bellinger, man, let's go. Yeah, and you know, as far as marks go, he was actually the first player to get to 21 home runs in the major leagues, and he had a month, he started a month later than everybody else. Ooh. So how about nice. that? Hey, nice. okay, so maybe the judge won't rule in favor of the judge. <laughs> well, and we can't forget about uh, uh, Giancarlo Stanton either. Yeah, by the way, I'm still trying to figure out why he changed his name? Because it didn't used to be Giancarlo Stanton. What was it? What was it? Yeah, I, it was Mike. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what? Just Mike? Yeah. Mike oh. Stanton. Yes. Maybe you just wanted. I'm to, almost he, positive. Just wanted to spice it up a little bit, man. He must have been going through a midlife crisis or something. Giancar- <laughs> okay, here we go. Giancarlo Cruz, Michael Stanton. An oh. American professional baseball left fielder. Okay, yes, it was Mike Stanton. Okay, because I had a buddy that I worked with in California that grew up with him and was like, yeah, I just, I just want to call him Mike, but now he's Giancarlo. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he must have been bored with his life, man. It's all making sense now. 
Hmm. I wonder what your fancy new name would be as an athlete. What would my name be as an athlete, Brian? Your stage name, if you will. Well, my stage name as a news anchor is Kent North. (laughs) You look like a Kent. (laughs) It's my my dad's name. We told you about that, right, Jeff? No. Oh, this is one of the most fantastic conversations we've ever had on BYU Sports Station. This goes back to our radio-only days. Your anchor name is your middle name and the the name of the street that you grew up on. Mm. Okay, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Liam Royal. Okay, are you kidding me? <laughs> Mine would be Vincent SNA. <laughs> <laughs> We're going out to our beat reporter, Vincent SNA. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds kind of... Nice. Oh, that's a that's great, isn't it? Though? I love that. that Liam Royal, Liam Royal from the courthouse. Liam, what'd you find out? <laughs> <laughs> now I can give you, uh, you know, this is getting a little uh, churchy, but uh, I can give you my apostle name, which is your your first the the first letter of your first name, and then your middle name, and then your last name. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, no, no. Yeah, J. Liam Simpson. Oh, would be my apostle oh, name. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fun, right? That's a fun conversation. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know what's coming up on your show today. Well, I mean, uh, we can't get enough of John Carlos Stanton, right? Mike Stanton. <laughs> Mike Stanton. Kent Mike. North. Yeah, there, there will be none of that, but there will be at least a, com- a concerted effort to try and figure out how in the world... BYU's preseason strength of schedule went from 37th in 2016 to 84th this year. I'm looking at LSU, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, and Utah, not to mention Boise State, and going, how is that the 84th strongest schedule? How are there 83 teams with a tougher college football schedule than that? We're going to talk to ESPN college football expert, insider, Trevor Maddich, he's one of their guys, and he'll try and make sense of that. Demand haters answers. You know, haters going to hate. Yeah, I mean, is really, like, if you compare the schedule side to side, I know there's not a lot of name brand value from last year, but what's the tougher schedule? Because BYU's high-level opponents this year, let's face it, compared to what they actually faced in 2016, LSU and Wisconsin would blow any of the teams that BYU played last year out of the water. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I want you to get some answers from this guy. Yeah. We will. It's hard. We hope. It's hard. Yeah, my he- my head is hurting right now. Trying to think. <laughs> Literally have a headache. Yeah, yeah. Brian, you have a headache for other reasons. Bass, <laughs> And then, real quick, are you guys uh, going to go see the new Spider-Man film? Of course. Yep. Tuesday, got, of course. I got my tickets. Already. Oh, Brian got tickets. Yes, he he, he, could, he could not get them. So Spencer, he got them. So I messed up and I didn't do. I didn't get on my my Jerem Jordan and, and right when the tickets went out and released. I did a bad job of getting them. So, so you know, it's a couple of days late. Uh, my wife, go. my wife, you know, texted me and said, "Hey, uh, we can go, but we can only available time because we we watch it in IMAX and 3D." Oh yeah. Oh, you come on. And we and we and we have a luxury seat. Don't judge come me. On. Don't judge me. Come and we on. and we do luxury seats. How so, did you get a luxury seat? It's luxury seats. You never have you ever experienced luxury seats? No. Well, that's where my tickets are at. But uh, I don't know how you got one of those seats. Oh, well, you... I had to wait until Sunday. I to Sunday. <laughs> ah. And at and, and at nine forty five. So yesterday on the show, I was like, I'm so disappointed in myself because now I have to skip church. Awesome. Yeah. Well, when you're skipping church, I hope you enjoy that luxury seat, <laughs> and, Brian. And yeah, and I will put the heat. 
cedar heat warmer on too. That Spencer, buttered pop, think of you too. The butter on that popcorn is going to taste so bitter to you. Well, Spencer, Spencer went and uh, had said that if I go and do that, if I go through with that plan, you get food I'm poisoning. Gonna get, I'm going to get food poisoning. Be sick. <laughs> so I decided to pop my own bag of popcorn. And I'm going to sneak it in with my son's Star Wars luck. blanket. Good luck. Well, have fun. i, I got to let you guys go, but to have fun watching Spider-Man in those uh, ill-gotten yeah. seats. <laughs> yeah, have a great time, Brian. <laughs> uh, say a prayer for me at church. Please. All right. <laughs> you guys have a good weekend. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, there was one time when I was staying with my cousins, and uh, they wanted to go out and have some excursion, and it was on a Sunday, and they said, well, we can go bowling or we can go to the movies. And I said, well, I was thinking to myself, I'll choose the lesser of two evils and we'll go bowling. And they said, well, we want to go to the movies. So we're going to the movies. So I went to go see Billy Madison on a Sunday in the movie theater with my cousins. Mom, if you're listening, I was very young and did not have much of a choice. But I really enjoyed that movie. <laughs> Anyway, uh, as you know, our mission on Screen Cleaning is to help you find the best entertainment around. And one one way in which we do that is by shining a spotlight on a particular movie, actor, performer, or story in a segment we call Panning for Good. There's good in them there hills. Well, this is not a movie or a performer or, uh, you know, this or a story even. This is actually, if you can believe it or not... A holiday that is happening today and is being celebrated, I know, in Russia. Now, uh, you've probably never heard of this. You actually can't even find out, find out that much info on it online. But it's called Dien Ivan Kupala. Do you know what that means, Cole? Ivan Kupala Day? That's true. Ivan okay. Kupala Day. Ivan Kupala or John the Baptist Day. Oh, uh, it. Uh, I don't want to get into what it, uh, why it's really a holiday, but kids in Russia will go around getting people wet <laughs> on Ivan Kupala Day. It's a They'll good thing take... this happens in the summer. I mean, Russia in the winter. Oh, yeah. if that was when they yeah. put Ivan Kupala Day. They take well, a lot then of cold be... people. Yeah, then it becomes the ice bucket challenge. Uh-huh. They they take buckets. They take water bottles. The best thing I remember seeing was a. Uh, a cut up. It was a cut in half inner tube with the ends, uh, the one end tied and the other end pinched with their fingers, and then they would just release it. My friend and I got doused with water, and then when we went home that night, we would stand up in our balcony because everybody lives in apartment complexes and just dump water on people going by. See, something like this, you could get uh, you could get arrested and you know for assault, and but in Russia, it's the simple. Joys in life. They have fun with it. Yes. Oh, my favorite holiday, Dien Ivan Kupala, Ivan Kupala Day, or John the Baptist Day. Look it up. Practice it. Maybe go douse somebody with some water, but hopefully it's somebody you know so you don't get arrested. Anyway, that's going to do it for this heroic edition of Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next Friday to give you more options to uh, for, <laughs> to entertain your family with. We'll return. We'll return.